hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Firmamental Podcast. I am your host, Raul. Today, we got a very special guest in the house. We got Billy from Permaculture Pimpcast in the house with us tonight. I'm going to be glad to share some information on becoming self-sufficient with you folks because it's very important in this day and age that we live to learn how to take care of yourself and not rely on this system. So uh, we also got Alex along with us for the ride tonight. Remember, go rate, follow the show, subscribe, share with your loved ones, share with your friends, uh, help build this algorithm. Um, Go check out the firmamentalpodcast.com. Uh, st- up and running, still under construction. We're going to be adding some new features there. So let's just get into it tonight, folks. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Billy from the Permaculture Pimpcast. Well, it's a joy to be with here with y'all tonight. Um, in a nutshell, I guess you could say I'm a Christian American, heterosexual, pro-gun, liberty-minded permaculture designer. I guess in a nutshell, that's really what I am. Um, what we do at Permapastures Farm is we basically we and what we teach basically through our YouTube channel, which is called Perma Pastures Farm, and also our podcast, which is called the Permaculture Pimp Cast. And Pimp stands for Permaculture is my passion. Now, what we try to do is evangelize this magnificent design science that basically tells you and gives you a guidebook on how maybe you want to situate your house, how you want to grow your food, how you want to raise your family. And what drew me to this whole design science that we call permaculture is basically the initial, well, initially was a prime directive, which is basically at this very moment, take full ownership of yourself and your family. So in a nutshell, you're responsible for everything you do and fail to do. So that got my attention right off. And then when I found out the ethics of permaculture, which is, and that's very simple too. It's earth care, people care, and the abundance given to the previous two. Now, I could get into the weeds now. When people start asking for a definition of permaculture, you could ask about 100 different permaculture designers what that definition is, and they're going to give you 100 different answers. So I tend to stick with the prime directive and what the uh, ethics are. So if you can work within that framework, you might be actually doing permaculture. But in a nutshell, what we do is basically take the everyday person. We got a how-to channel on YouTube saying, okay, here's how we raise all of our chickens for free. Here's how we raise our pork for 21 cents a pound. Here's how we raise basically all of our meat for free using waste streams that most people throw away. And at the same time, how we grow our food for us, how we take all these byproducts, how we have a farm that has zero waste, and we not only produce enough food for our family, which at the present moment is five and about to be six. Not only do we feed all of us for free, we have to give it away. That's what I'm saying. We've gave away just this last year, three whole pigs, and we show people how to process them. From the time that pig is born until the time it goes in the freezer or the chicken or the eggs or whatever the case may be, we're showing people that it doesn't have to be difficult to do this. And then better still, the reason why we called it the pimp cast was to reach out to maybe some of the people of color out there that might look a little bit like me or a little bit dark like you, Raul, where (laughs) all these people who've been raised to believe that they got to go to the grocery store, live in the hood, and that's where you live and die and raise and grow all your, or get all your food. I'm thinking if they see a person like me and I'm speaking the language, I know they speak in the hood, which is like a pimp, you know, man, this guy, he's, you know, he's pimped out. 
If I could speak that language to some extent, then maybe, just maybe, get these people that live in these hoods thinking, man, you know what? Mom and dad wouldn't, you know, they had a hard time. You know, they're in prison like me. You know, my mom and dad, I'm, I'm the product of convicted felons. So I'm hoping that if I can speak their language and they can see me do what I do, and I do it full time, my whole family does, if I can do this and I can carve out a life for myself, not only feeding, clothing, housing, everything for my family, and have so much left over that I have to give it away. I got six freezers down there filled to the brim. I got to give it away. So what I'm doing in the process is when I do, we're showing people how to butcher these animals. When I say butcher, I don't mean that in, in the Jeffrey Dahmer kind of way. I'm talking, <laughs> we show them how to ethically do this stuff and how they can make this, how they can, if you've been raised in the city, no matter where you came from, whether you're the guy that grew up in the hood, mom and dad, both in prison, or maybe you're the mom, the single mom whose husband ran off with a go-go dancer. It doesn't matter. We show everybody how to do this, and then we create as best we can these enclaves of freedom. What you told me before we even started this podcast, Raul, freedom cells, where basically you have a agoristic, um, you know, dealings with maybe your neighbor or some people down the way, or maybe they're an hour away, where maybe you can't produce everything, but maybe you produce the fruit. Maybe they produce the meat. Maybe you have another neighbor that produces milk. So we show everybody that you can do all this stuff. It doesn't have to be difficult. You don't have to lot, have to have a lot of money. And we're showing everybody how you can do this with waste streams that are easily available. And uh, honestly, the, uh, the ride's been incredible because not only am I doing everything I want to do, this is my dream job. I'm actually doing it. This is my dream job. And the best part about it is, is that I get all of these people reaching out whether they've been through one of my butchery classes or whether it's uh, any of my orchard training stuff or anywhere along that continuum, when they reach out and they say, you know what, man, good night, man. I feel so much more prepared. I feel like I can go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take the tartar sauce with me now that I have this. <laughs> so that's what we try to do. That's exactly the, I'm sorry, that's a long-winded answer for what we do, but in a nutshell, that's what we evangelize on our YouTube channel. And also we got, it's not just YouTube because I definitely don't want to be giving them a shout out. We're also on Brighteon. You can also find us on Rumble and some of the other platforms out there. So we do have that channel and we're going to use it until they kick us off, which is almost certainly going to happen. And, um, you know, and then the podcast is where we get down and dirty with it, man. I mean, we cover everything, permaculture, preparedness, practical living. But lately, we've been getting into the esoteric quite a bit. And um, yeah, so I guess maybe to some extent, some people you know reached out to people I know and reached out to me, and here we are together. And I can't believe I'm on a, I'm on the one podcast so far that has a cooler name of a podcast than the one I got. I don't know about that, man. I like the perma, permaculture pimpcast, man, and I like it. Uh, permaculture is my passion, man. And like you said, I totally relate to you because I, like you, uh, grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Like I was born in New Mexico, but I was, when I was real young, my mother took me to Arizona. So I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and I grew up in a neighborhood, uh, where there was uh, a lot of black kids and a lot of Hispanic kids, but the Hispanic kids in my neighborhood were into gang banging. And I never got down with that, you know? Um, so I liked hanging out with the black kids because I like to play basketball 
And, you know, they were, they always cool to me, you know, they're out there at the basketball courts all day with their boom box, standing around kicking freestyles, you know, so I got into hip hop at a young age and, and learn how to rhyme. And so I, I, I can totally feel how you can get down with the people and relate to them on their level. I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, uh, thank the Lord, man. It sounds like you're living a blessed life and you get to live out your passions and you get to help people and you get to share your blessings with others, which is what it's all about, man. So hats off to you and what you're doing. Sounds like you're into some great things and, and that the Lord's really taking care of you, man. So all praise due to the most high. Amen to that, man. I, I, you know, I'd be remiss. I'm glad you pointed that out because I make no bones about the fact. That's why I always say when I'm in the middle of these things, I always say that I'm a Christian, American, heterosexual, pro-gun, liberty-minded. You know, so if anybody on that podcast doesn't like me, man, we don't have to spend another hour together, you know. I, <laughs> I kind of lay it out right there. But truthfully, um, I I don't, I know that I did absolutely nothing to deserve uh, the position, the position I find myself in now, I do work hard. No two ways about that, man. I'm up at dawn and I don't go to bed till after midnight half the time. So it does take a fair amount of work. But honestly, when anybody comes from a background like I have, you're either going to wind up. And typically, I mean, and this is a, a broad brush, but you know, you know, the Lord has looked after you when, like I said, you have mom and dad as convicted felons and you're raised by your grandmother along with your five brothers. You know, typically a background like that is usually how a prison story starts. You know, yep. by everybody's metric, I ought to be scrubbing, scrubbing dishes and sing, sing, <laughs> but I'm not. You know, the Lord was so gracious to take me out of, I'm not saying it was all rosy, and by no means was it. Um, it took a lot of hard work, it took a lot of dedication, it took a lot of uh, sacrifice, and it took a lot of mistakes. And I like to think that on the other side of that, man, the good Lord looked after me, and maybe kind of put me in a position to where, and where I find actually a little bit uncomfortable where, you know, I'm getting calls from throughout the world. Like right now, just got a, earlier, I got off the phone with some um, folks that live in the Congo. They got these marauding tribes coming in there and they're wiping out their, their stuff. So they're wanting me to actually, man, this is going to sound wild, man. So they're actually, they got these crazy tribes in the middle of Congo, which has been messed up ever since JFK was alive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here it is. I find myself in this crazy position where these people from throughout the world, the bishop of that church said, reach out to this guy. And they want me to go over there and design a permaculture, a place where they can not only provide their food, but also with my military background and the access to the things I have, that maybe we can secure these villages in such a way to where we can not only apply permaculture, but also the protection and overlay a bunch of different things. So, you know, I would have never, even 10 years ago, I would have never thought myself in a position where I can try to be a blessing to these folks, you know, and and do these things. And, you know, my son, you know, he's trained in Australia and all over this country. And, you know, you these opportunities and doors that have opened, um, the Lord will open, open them for you, but you got to wind up walking through them. And I think a lot of times, those of us out there, we we tend to think that, you know, this is the path I'm on. Well, I got news for you, man. There's still, to some extent, some degree of freedom. You know, this is the only place in the earth, one of, North America is one of the few places on earth where you can wake up one day, be one thing, and then decide at that very moment that I'm going to do something else. And that's exactly what I've, I've re-identified myself a number of times. And I know that you have as well, based on the story that we had before we even began this podcast. So, 
I guess that's a long-winded way of saying the Lord has a has a strange way of guiding you into places that you never even knew was possible and doing jobs that you never that are undreamed of in my world. So I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful to be with you, man, and thankful to be on a podcast where um for the first time ever, man, I'm not actually talking completely about farming. I guess we're going to get into some weird stuff tonight. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you a little bit about that because, you know, I, like I said, uh, before we hopped on live, I was telling you that this is the first time I, I started some gardens at my house, you know, and I think we as Americans, you know, at least I'm speaking for myself right now and my family is, uh, I got a three bedroom house, right? A decent sized little garage, but my yard's huge. My front yard, the side of both sides of my house and the backyard is huge, man. And I have a lot of unused space, but I do, I'm a dog lover. So I got four dogs. So I had to erect a fence to keep them out of this garden area that I'm doing. But, uh, I think I have so much unused space that I could actually be utilizing for something. Like I've been thinking about getting chickens, you know, and starting a chicken coop and like, uh, you know, trying to get, uh, have fresh access to fresh eggs and other things that we could do to become more self-sufficient. And I would definitely, man, I mean, that would be my dream. It would to be, to buy some land out in, if it's in New Mexico, you know, I like the Northern part of the state where the woods, you know, the, the Sagrada de Cristo mountains and the, the, the Rocky mountain range. I love all that area. I love the forest, you know, I'm an outdoors person. So it'd be my dream. And, and my girl's family does have about 237 acres in Northern New Mexico. And then my best friend, where I store a lot of, of supplies and food and stuff that I've stored away for a rainy day in case crap hits the fan. You know, we, he he has about um, 250 to 300 acres and he has ca- uh, cattle, he has pigs, he has goats, he has chickens, he has ducks, you know. So uh, I think we could maintain self-sufficiency, right? And then along with, uh, you know, learning to hunt and fish and you know, uh, so I'd like to hear a little bit more. Cause like when I think of the word permaculture, like uh, this isn't a subject that I'm well-versed on, but when I think about permaculture to me, that's like the word permanent, right? Permanent culture, you know? So it's not just, uh, raising food through the summer and through harvest. It's learning how to cultivate and grow food year round. So are you talking about like, like greenhouses? I know you talked about your son was trained to doing earth ships. Like touch a little bit on like how you can grow food year round and, you know, even it living in a city environment, somebody who has just a small space in their backyard or maybe even just like a, like a small porch, somebody living in an apartment or something like, what are the things that you can do, um, to, to kind of grow your own food and be, start to eat healthier foods, you know, stuff that that's not getting sprayed with these chemicals, stuff that's not canned or put in plastic that has all this stuff that's detrimental to our health, you know, uh, and I've really gotten into recently too, buying meat from local farmers, going to the farmer's markets, you know, getting stuff where I know the sources that it's coming from, uh, because I know that they're making us sick and they're poisoning us through our food. They're poisoning us through big farm and they're, they're making us sick and there's no money in the cure, right? The money's in the treatment. So they're creating patients that they can treat for a lifetime. And, uh, I'm all about becoming self-sufficient. Um, I'm definitely going to go subscribe to your YouTube channel. You know, after this, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to start watching your videos because this is stuff that I'm passionate about. So just tell us a little bit about, uh, permaculture and some advice that people just starting out can start with. Sure. Let me, let me jump back just a second 
and address something you just said a moment ago. We have a, a medical system that basically treats each and every one of us like an ATM machine, you know? And it goes back to that adage that you can rob and kill a man only once, but you can steal from him again and again. So which model do you think they employ, not only in the U.S., but also in places like Canada and a number of other places throughout the world? So it's better for them to keep us sick because, you know, it's one thing if they they kill you, then it's all said and done. But if they can use you as an ATM machine, well, that's another thing altogether. So what we do, what I think is specific to how we do it, is that we've made this overlay of permaculture with also preparedness. Because before I got into permaculture, I started in the preparedness world, but I saw all these different, in the preparedness movement, I saw everybody had like their pet thing that they were putting back for. Like, I think this is going to happen, so I'm going to put this back. Or you would have guys, whenever we would team up with other groups, the guys would say, okay, man, I'm really into guns. And I'm like, uh, you think you might have put back some antibiotics? You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. The gun, bro, you might want to think about some, you know, how about some bandages? You got guns. What if you got to treat a gunshot wound? So there was all these holes, and then you would have women um, you know, what, there was, what would happen was guys were driven by ego and women were driven by emotion and there wasn't anybody out there. This is, and I'm talking, I'm casting a wide net here. So there were all these holes in the preparedness realm. And so I pulled myself out of it and then I discovered permaculture and I'm like, oh, okay, this answers all this stuff. So how do I overlay my military background, my preparedness background? And also my permaculture background. And I just got a book that just came out the other day. And my next one is going to be about permaculture preparedness, at least to some extent. So I, I, I said all that to get to the heart of your question. is like, what do you do right off the bat? Well, whenever we do a consultation for anybody, first, we're going to point out everything I just said to you right there. If you didn't already know for anybody out there, you do now. The problem is there's a lot of different holes in everybody's game. So what's the first thing we do? We hit the preparedness quotient before we even talk about permaculture, because really permaculture is preparedness. I'll cover that in a minute. So if I were to go to your place, Raul, and I, and I was doing a consultation, I'd say, what's your food situation look like? And then you're going to be, th- you're not really going to know what I mean, but I'm, what I'm going to specifically ask is, if things were to drop right now, how many days could you go without having to go to the store? If you couldn't go to the store. Let's say it was the worst that happened. Let's say it was an EMP. Let's say it was this. Let's say it was that. Let's say it's the latest, um, you know, contrived pestilence that they come up with. Whatever the case may be, let's say you can't go anywhere. Well, how long could you go? And the answer for most people is going to be about three days for most people. Because you're going to need, most people don't shop for milk a month at a time. Most people don't shop for bread a month at a time. But that's the way we live in the United States of amnesia. It really is. That's exactly how we do it. We have a just-in-time delivery system. So then the first thing we try to do is rewire the person's brain that we're giving a consultation to, to first say, okay, forget about permaculture for a minute. Let's get you squared away with preparedness. So the first thing I'm going to say, once I get your attention and say, okay, well, you're not prepared, what do we do? So then the first thing we're going to do is say, okay, well, Do you have any income in which we could possibly have you put back at least three months to start with? And then in most cases, for most people, they're going to say, no, I don't have enough money for that. But what you don't realize 
is that we can show you. I've done videos right there on my YouTube channel where I think the let it's been a while, but one of the videos was for a hundred dollars I could feed a man for seventy two days. Seventy two days, not a, a typical two hundred two thousand calories. I like kicked it up to like three thousand or thirty five hundred, which is still kind of low in a survival scenario, but you're at least staying alive. So people are going to say, "Well, how you do that?" Well, easily. Even right now, okay, let me back up a little bit. You could go to Sam's Club. I don't know if they got those up in Canada, but you can go to a Sam's Club or a Costco. You can get a 50-pound bag of white rice that will keep forever and a day if you store it right. You can go up there and get that for about 20 bucks. A 50-pound bag of rice. Do you have any idea how many calories are in that one 50-pound bag? In case that's 20 bucks. Go get yourself some beans. They keep forever in a day if you get the right beans, if you store them right. Put them in Mylar. We show you how to do all that. But here's the one thing that most people forget when it comes to preparedness, and that has to do with fat. The hardest thing to find in nature is fat, but nobody ever talks about that. The hardest thing to find in nature, I'm going to repeat that, the hardest thing to find in nature is fat, and it's the one thing that most people in the preparedness world neglect. Well, you can be at that same Sam's Club. So you got your rice, you got your beans. You can also pick up gallon jars of very inexpensive organic coconut oil. Well, that's storable fat. It's shelf stable. You could even do lard. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do, because I know I got to be kind of concise. So we're going to get you to understand, first of all, that you're not as prepared as you might think. So we got your food squared away. Obviously, before that, we're going to look at your water situation as well. And we're going to say, okay, like in a place where you live, are you doing any rainwater catchment? Do you have swales? Do you have anything like that? We're going to ask those questions. So we're going to get your brain on that. So before we even talk about food production, and I'm talking, we're going to talk about food procurement before we talk about food production. So get yourself three months squared away, and then we're going to talk about production because people are going to say, well, I can do the same at the same time. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You divide yourself. You can either do one task very well, or you're going to do 10 tasks in the most awful way. So we get you, first of all, thinking from a preparedness slant. And then once you get that squared away, then we can have the conversation about, okay, well, how do you produce your own? Because the last thing you want to do is get into your stores. You don't want to do that unless you absolutely have to. So then we're going to say, like in a case like yours, Raul, where you're you're thinking about um, chickens. We're going to say, huh. Okay, you got chickens out here. First of all, how much time do you have to devote to it? You got a job. Do you have anybody can help with you? Do you trust them helping you? And if the answer is, okay, I got X amount of time. I can do this. Here's how much work. I'm going to design a system based on chickens because that's, that's the gateway drug for most people, either chickens or rabbits. But really, the number one gateway drug in the homesteading and preparedness and permaculture is really a garden. But let's talk about food systems first. So if you're comfortable with it, Let's go ahead and start with chickens. I'm going to show you a method called the chicken tractor on steroids. It was conceived in America and made, well, it didn't get the worldwide acclaim that it should have gotten, but it was, by, it was uh, advanced by a guy named Jeff Lawton, an Australian guy. And we took that system and advanced it even further, more than anybody else on the planet, to a system to where a flock of 30 we, we've done this, and we've got the YouTube videos to prove it. We showed how you can feed all of those birds for free. They can provide all of the eggs you could ever eat for a family, and at the same time produce a cubic yard of finished compost per week. 
And at the same time, you can harvest birds out of this system, hatch out some other ones, and put them back in. So you could always, let's say you had, you know, just 30 birds, or let's say it was 20. It didn't have to be that many. We can scale this thing up or down based on your needs. We could do it with four birds. We can scale this thing up. So that's one of the methods we would use. Okay. So let's say you want to, you like chickens. Now let's talk about the garden. We're going to teach you about zoning. That is the number one thing that kills people in gardening and in permaculture. And what I mean by zoning, imagine for a moment your house is zone zero. Now imagine around your, your house, concentric circles, like that flat earth, Matt, I'm looking in the background at Alex's place. Um, I, know the, I know the listeners can't see that, but imagine folks, okay, I'll use language I know everybody in this podcast is going to understand. Imagine a flat earth map. It's round. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, in the center of that flat earth map is your home. And then you have concentric rings all the way around. So if your home is zone zero, right out your front door is going to be zone one. Then zone two, it'll be a further one all the way out. And then when you hit that ice wall, we're going to call that zone five because what we call what we call <laughs> zone five is no man's land or it's wilderness, okay? So that's the way we're going to work at it. So if your house is zone zero, after we got all your preparedness squared away, let's say we got your chickens going away, instead of taking your gardens and putting it out in zone five, which is going to be that ice wall, why not take your gardens? Now, this is going to sound revolutionary to a lot of people. Why not take your vegetable garden, your herb garden, the things that you got to interact just about every day with, why not put them in the closest proximity to your house? So when you pull up in your vehicle, you have to interact with those things. If for no other reason you look at them and say, oh, shoot, I got tomatoes, or I got peppers ready. Or man, bugs are really getting to this. I better do something about it. You put yourself right in the middle of that garden so you don't put it out there at the ice wall. You're going to put it up closer. You're going to put it by Lemuria or some of the other places. Uh, hilarious. There you go. You can, put, you can put this thing any number of places. So what we teach you to do, first of all, I'm, I'm going to recap one more time. So first of all, we're going to get you to first understand that you're not as prepared as you may think you are. Get your long-term storage on point. Get your water on point. Then let's talk about production. We get you into production. Uh. Those chickens could literally do everything if you do them right. And most people have a problem with following the directions we teach because nobody on this planet has developed this system more than we have. You can even put rabbits in this system. You can do all these different things and it can be fun. But where you start, where people start screwing up is where they put, um, they'll say, you know what? I want my garden over here. And then my question is, well, does it make sense to put your garden over there? Because it's inefficient. There's got to be this efficiency quotient in all of this. That's why you put the things that you interact with the most, like let's say your chickens, you're going to want them in zone two. You may want them in zone one, depending on how your land is laid out. Your vegetable gardens, your crop gardens, they're going to be situated where they make sense. Okay, so let's say you want to put orchards in. Well, you don't interact with your trees every day, so maybe you want them in zone three. You might even want them in zone four. Let's say you have cows in the system. Well, those guys are going to be further out too. So I, I know that's a long-winded answer, but there is no possible way I can make this any more concise. That's where I'm going to tell everybody to start. Think about your preparedness. Don't go growing tomatoes. Don't go doing chickens. Get yourself 90 days at least squared away on your food and water. Then talk about how you're going to reproduce it so you don't have to get into your resupply. 
Yeah. So me personally, if I was going to answer that question, you know, I know that we bought, um, you know, those food ration bars that are high calorie, you know, I got, uh, you know, like four or five of those. I know I got, uh, three of the food buckets that have the MREs in them. I got a 50 pound, uh, I don't know if it's a 50 pound, but it's one of those large, you know, black, uh, tough, big, tough, uh, plastic rubber boxes with the lid that snaps on filled with canned food, rice, and beans. Um, and I'm just thinking though, you know, I got, I got three kids at home. I got four in total, but I got three kids at home, you know, and then myself and my girl and the, and the pets, we got four dogs and, and two cats, but one cat hasn't come home in a couple of weeks worried about her, but you know, sometimes they do these things. They just show back up later, but not to fall off topic, but <laughs> I just thought about my cat. I haven't seen her in a while, but you know, um, I think I definitely would have to tell my kids like, Hey dude, like we got to cut it back. We have to, we have to learn to conserve. We can't eat as much as we usually do. You know, you get, you got, you got to scale it back to make things last. Cause if, if, if the supply chain breaks down and we can't get out, we can't make access to these stores. Like, what are we going to do? We can't just sit here and just because you're bored, you know, eat out of boredom, you know, cause I know the kids do that. Right. It's like any little type of hunger pain, they run to the kitchen and they don't just get a little cereal bowl. They want to get the Tupperware bowl and fill it with half a gallon of milk and a whole box of cereal. You know, it's like, no, we got to learn to ration these things out and make them last, you know? So I, you know, and kids grow this, so they just want to eat all the time. But I think about it, man. And I'm like, could I make it three months? Like my problem would be the water. The water thing would be a big issue with me because I live out here in Albuquerque, which is high desert. Rain is at a premium. You know, uh, we don't get the, the kind of rain that you guys get where you live. But that's one thing where I'd be screwed. You know, like, let's say, you know, tap water's garbage. We know this. Um, but how could I, if, if the tap water was still running, like, how could I, how could I purify it and clean it? Like, yeah, I got live straws. Yeah. I got, uh, you know, uh, those tablets that, that can clean water or whatever. Um, but I think the big thing for me that I need to think about is probably doing one of those water storage tanks, you know, collecting as much water as I can, or even filling them up while the taps still available. And, you know, at least having that to use for, for my plants, for my garden, for my animals, and then if we need to use it to cook or whatever, we could purify it and use it. But like the water thing, I definitely hearing you talk about that. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally unprepared when it comes to my water situation. The food thing, I think I could probably eke it out. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, uh, a couple months, man. If we're, if we're being frugal and not overeating, you know what I mean? And keeping it to one, two meals a day. I mean, this is under the harshest of circumstances where I'm just stuck in the city. Because really my plan would be, would be to get out of the city and go to where our family's land is up North or where my best friend's land is. And, uh, you know, I think you have a lot better chance of survival out there. And my buddy, he's a rancher, so he knows how to cultivate and farm. And, uh, you know, another thing that I've been uh, hearing about is like aquaponics. Like it'd be cool to learn about aquaponics and, and some of these other food systems, you know, uh, I don't know if you, uh, do you do any aquaponics yourself? No, we don't. There's a reason for that. Um, because we don't have to, not in this environment. I mean, okay. water, we got water coming out of our eyeballs up here. Uh, we got streams everywhere. We got trout everywhere. We have, um, when it comes to water, it, you could almost take it for granted here. So we got exactly the opposite problem of you. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. This, this yeah, is aquaponics. No, I'm sorry, but to, um, to your point, I'm sorry. Um, as far as aquaponics, it really doesn't make any sense for us to do that in this environment because we can literally go down here, hit a stream. And uh, there's, I've also, I've also have, I also have a little bit in terms of, um, I'm always asking myself, would this system work if I didn't have any power? And that's where I see some holes in the aquaponics game. So I'm always yeah. trying to put in systems that could run with nothing more than elbow grease. Yeah, that makes total sense, you know. And uh, I always think, you know, hearing you talk, you know, and and thank you for these long-winded answers because it makes my job easier. You know, I, I love it when I have a guest that can just that they can just go off and I can sit back and makes my job easy. So, man, I love it, man. You're not they aren't long-winded winded answers. I, I love the detail that you're giving us. But even thinking about like you were talking about how men are ego driven and and women are driven uh, drove by their emotions. And I always think about this because I even got obsessed with that stuff, you know, uh, working in armed security and, and, uh, having an uncle that, that, that I was blessed with that does reloads. And I was able to, he recently fell. He's in his eighties, man. He was still going out to the shooting range with me, you know, two, three times a month. And we were, you know, uh, getting my practice in and, and we were able to, I wasn't, I didn't have to burn through my own personal staff because he does reloading. So I was very blessed in that, in that way. And, uh, but I've always said, you know, when I, I got really heavy into buying firearms, but like, when you think about it in a situation, when shit hits the fan, you can't take all this stuff with you, man. Like you cannot take all those guns, you know, how heavy and, and how you, you gotta, you got to really think if you're thinking in a survival mode, you got to put priority where, you know, what's the most important things. And I think people neglect, just like you said, like having a, a, a viable first aid kit, you know, having the, having the right clothes packed and prepared, you know, blanket, hygiene supplies, you know, food, water, you know, your pets, like dude, you, your, your vehicles start filling up real quick. And I'm talking about for people that live in the city, you're blessed to live out in the countryside, you know, and, and, ha and have a piece of land. That's eventually what I want to get to. That's eventually what me and Alex have even been talking about doing is putting our resources together and, and doing these things together and going back to like where we can pull from the system and do like trade and barter systems. Like, hey, you're an electrician, you're a carpenter, you're a mechanic. I need this work done. Hey, in return, I know how to do this or I've, I've cultivated this food or I've raised this meat or I, 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 I shot and killed this elk and I butchered it for meat. And I'll trade you this for that, you know, and it might come to that, to the a place where, where we have to do these things to take care of each other. And we can't rely on going to the grocery store. We can't rely on the supply chain, you know? So I do think about these things, but it's funny. You can't take all these guns with you, man. And like, and, and if you, you, you could have all the guns in the world, but if you don't got ammunition to put in your guns, it's just a blunt object, you know? So really what I've done is I stopped buying guns and when I have extra money, I buy things like, uh, you know, silver and gold or ammunition to put in those guns or food or man, I just really need to get my water game right now talking to you though. And sorry, I'm going off, but dude, I got all these thoughts running through my head and I kind of want to let you know where my, my situation is at. But it's funny because people don't prioritize these things. They, they, they don't think about events that can possibly happen and, and how prepared are you? The one thing that I will say 
is being a conspiracy theorist. At least that's what they'd like to call us. I don't like that term. They came up with that term when JFK got assassinated to discredit people that were questioning the narrative, right? They're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. And they're like, oh yeah, crazy conspiracy theories. You know, that was made up by these three letter organizations that are corrupt, you know, that we need to dismantle and get rid of, you know? And, uh, so I don't really like that term, but that's what they would call us. Right. And, uh, bro, it's, it's really important to understand that these things very easily can happen and that you might think that you're prepared, but you're not as prepared as you think of. And there's more that, that we can do. And it's not to, to be that we're worried. It's not that we're living in fear because God told us, he commanded us, do not fear, right? 365 times to be precise in the Bible. Isn't that funny? One command for every day of the year. I think fear is the way that our controllers has exacerbated so much control over us because we have to succumb to our fear. And uh, I think it was Thomas Jefferson that said, any man that would trade protection for freedom uh, deserves neither and will end up losing both. And that's the way I look at these things, but we got to live in reality. But at the same time, it's better to ha to have and not need than need and not have. So I'm totally down with what you're doing. I'm definitely going to go to be checking out your YouTube channels. And I'm glad to to meet you. We got hooked up through our show producer, Claude. And it's funny, we were talking before you came on. And I was like, man, wait, I heard of you, man. You were on uh, Tony Merkel and the confessionals. So, man, this is kind of cool, man. And I look forward to this uh, friendship that we're forging. And... uh you know, thank you for the stuff you're sharing. Now, I did hear you say you were military. Uh, what branch of the military were you in? Yeah, I was a, a airborne sapper, um, basically a ranger with um, explosives. Um, that's basically what I was. And um, that was years back, but I still retained a lot of what I learned there, you know, and it's and and that's also what I've grafted into what we do here to graft it into my preparedness, also into my permaculture. So all of these, let's say, for example, the knots I learned in, you know, being a sapper, I use those every day on the homestead. Well, that's also a preparedness tool, you know, and, and I, I just want to hit for a moment on your point about the conspiracy theorists, you know, I, and it, and like you said, it was, it was devised by the CIA right after Kennedy to marginalize anybody that would ask critical questions about anything. Mm -hmm. And as you know, as you well, as you know, very well, because I can tell by your podcast alone, by the name of it, that, um, they're going to call anybody that asks critical questions of the status quo. They're going to call you a conspiracy theorist. Well, let me just think about this. Okay. If you look at some of the work of people like Edward Gibbon, who wrote Fall and Decline of the Roman Empire, let's just kind of take a look at this for a moment. Now, the Visigoths hadn't been paid, and they're kicking down the doors of Rome, or at least they were trying to. We're told that even though the aristocracy in Rome had got on the first thing smoking over to Constantinople, all the plebs, you know, people like us, were still in Rome. They basically said, hey, I'm going to my winter home over here in Constantinople. It's all good. We'll be back later, bruh. Well, <laughs> what they didn't tell them is that nobody paid the Visigoths. Rome had fallen, and nobody else knew it but the people in charge. So they got on the first thing smoking out of Rome, went over to Constantinople. Meanwhile, the Visigoths are coming down on Rome. And meanwhile, the people had become so stupid, so, so sloven. That Gibbon even writes that fish was jumping out of the river. And because the slaves had also ran off, 
that the Roman citizens had become so stupid that they didn't even know how to clean a fish. So they were starving to death right there in Rome. He even goes on to describe that even as the Visigoths were trying to get into Rome, you got people yelling down from the Colosseum saying, how much for that meat? Meaning the Roman, the gladiator that was just murdered on that floor, dead on that floor, and they were wondering how much for that meat? Cannibalism. Well, everybody from Cato, and I know I'm giving a lot of ancient history here, but everybody from all the way back from the time of Julius Caesar, people like Cato would go into the Roman Senate and they would wear black. And it was to symbolize where they knew the republic is going. They knew they were going to leave that republic and ultimately be an empire. And don't tell me we're not an empire. A hundred what, 900 military bases in 130 countries? Yeah, I see that qualifies us as an empire. So here we are in the United States of empire and amnesia, depending on how you look at it. You know, all those people that were like Cato that were saying Rome is done. It's fallen apart. It's on its knees. It's about done. I'm wearing black because I'm going to a funeral. That happened several thousand years ago, but they called him a conspiracy theorist. He was laughed out of the Senate, practically. Well, he ended up committing suicide, but that's another story altogether. But the point is that they called he and his contemporaries, people like him, conspiracy theorists, or their version of it at that time in Rome. Because if they didn't, just like all the other people, the aristocracy that knew that they didn't pay those northern barbarian hordes and they knew that they were about to sack Rome and come down on it, they would have been with those guys when they left. So here we are right now. You have a, you have a breakaway civilization, as Richard Dolan calls it, and they got their little enclaves of safety. They got their redoubts and their underground, deep underground military bases and all the other things throughout this planet. They got those things. You and I don't. So you can either wake up and smell the corruption or you're going to fall asleep drinking the hemlock, just like they did back in the old days, all the way back into the Roman Empire. There's nothing new under the sun, like Solomon said. And here we are doing in 200 years what it took the Romans 2,000 to do. And that's basically fall apart. I know you said something else, and I know I'm going on a tangent here, but this thing drives me crazy where everybody says, well, I'm just going to immediately dismiss this because that's a conspiracy theory. Well, why do you think that? Because the powers that sh shouldn't be told me so. Or, you know, I'm not going to even consider this idea over here. Why? Because the powers that shouldn't be told me so. I'm not going to examine the Kennedy assassination. I'm not going to examine 9-11. I'm not going to examine flat earth. Oh, did I actually say that? I'm not actually going to look into flat earth and at least consider the information that's being offered out there and then asking myself, does this make any sense? Well, the same exact thing overlays to our preparedness and to our lives and how we conduct our lives. Because I can see Rome falling right now. That's why I tell every client out there, do you have 90 days of food and water put back? Do you see this coming? Because I see it. I can see the northern barbarian hordes coming. Well, maybe not you Canadians, but you get the, you get the metaphor. I can see these barbarian hordes swooping in around us, but I'm a conspiracy theorist. You know, we better all start asking critical questions about the things that have been these, this matrix that they've prepared for us. We can get out. 
We can unjack from the matrix. We can get out of this thing. But it's going to require a little bit of uncomfortable questioning and asking critical questions about all these things that we are told that, that, are, that, are, that are fact, that are sacrosanct, that we can't question. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. You brought up Thomas Jefferson a minute ago. And it was also Thomas Jefferson, and I'm going to loosely quote him. They said that basically you should question everything, even the very existence of God, which is why I believe in it, because I have examined it. And I know that yes. he said it's going to die for my sins. So I, I believe this with all my heart. But it also extends itself into every single aspect of our lives. Are we going to believe what they tell us? I mean, there is not, if you had a friend, Raul, if you had a friend, that lied to you one one thousand of the American, Canadian, Mexican, whatever government on this planet. If they lied to you to one one thousandth to the extent that they lie to us now, they could tell you the sun rose in the east and you would go out there and look. You would go out there and check. But we're so easily spoon-fed these lies from the powers that shouldn't be, and we don't even question it. We are here comfortably at the bottom of Plato's cave watching these apparitions go across this fake screen, and we sit here and chew it up. And then people like the present company we have right now, we've broken our bonds from the bottom of Plato's Cape. We've gotten out there. We see this blue sky. We see this green grass. We see things to us that are nothing short of wonders. And then we go back down in that cave, and we go tell all the people down there, hey, y'all, what you see on this cave wall is a, it's fiction. It's not real. And then what does Plato describe? Well, they, if they could get their hands on you, they'd kill you. And that's exactly what people do with this information. So I applaud what you guys do with this podcast. I got critical questions about some of the, the, the prevailing theories out there. Maybe I'll get some answers. I don't know. But yeah. I'm thankful to be in the company of people that are at least asking those questions. Well, you know, I think that that's what's wrong with our society, you know. And when I realized that, you know, literally the, the mainstream media was just making my spirit stick. It was making me mentally ill. You know, I got wrapped up like a lot of people did in the last election cycle. You know, um, I definitely leaned to the conservative side. Um, but now I even realize the whole red and blue, you know, liberal conservative, all this stuff is just created, orchestrated by our handlers to keep us divided. And when you come to the realization that there are two wings of the same bird, you know, there is no separation you know, it's total corruption at, at its highest forms. And Jesus warned us about this, right? We battle powers and principalities in high places. And I've, I've come to realize this. And, you know, for me, flat earth was, you know, I thought I was a black belt in conspiracy theory. You know, I had started with 9-11, you know, I dug deep through paranormal experiences that I had. I dug deeper, you know, I researched the the mystery religions and the occult and secret societies. And, you know, I started to question everything that they were that they were teaching us and they were feeding us on the news. And and you just once you get in tune for me, once I fine tune my relationship with Jesus, I started to get deeper into the word. I started to question the narrative because there's always an agenda behind the narrative. Right. And you look at everything and it's just like, I don't as as a conspiracy theorist, which they call us, right? I get frustrated with people. I'm like, how can you not see this? How can you not see through their lies? Like these these people are fork tongue liars. Like everybody that works in the mainstream media should 
be ashamed to call themselves journalists because they're not journalists. They just regurgitate information that they're told to to regurgitate. They're not bringing us, you know, it doesn't matter what news station you watch. It's the same broadcast on every station with a different spin, but they're all preaching the same thing. And it's all fear driven. And people have succumbed to their fear. And I, I tell people, you need to shut off. The first thing you need to do is shut off the tell lie vision and start to think for yourself and look at this stuff. I mean, the pandemic, I think, woke up a lot of people to a lot more people are woke up. I think the enemy overplayed their hand. I think that, uh, you know, more people are starting to question what's behind this. You know, we got people out there, though, that I hate to call people sheeple, but there's a lot of people that are just going to fall in line. There are going to be people that will line up for the FEMA camps. There are going to be people that are lining up for that next jab. And we're over here trying to sound the horn as God's watchmen and warn people and tell them like, hey, have you have you really looked into this stuff? Like we're trying to, but people don't want to hear it. Some people like it. I guess ignorance is bliss, right? And and that's what's so frustrating, but that's why I feel so passionate about this podcast and the things that we're doing, because it is important. Like you, I, I might not be able to lead you to Christ. Maybe I can, you know, I, uh, I know that I've touched people and I've, I've led people to Christ in my personal life. And I know we could do it through the podcast, but you know, that's great. I'm all about saving souls and, and, you know, introducing people to the living God, you know, Christianity, the one religion where God actually comes and his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. There is no other faith in the world like that. You know, um, it is the truth. It is my truth. But I'm not one of these people that's going to shove it down your throat. What I'm going to what I want to do, though, is present you with this information, get you to question things. And if you can get people just to question things, that's where we begin. Right. And I think what's wrong with our society is we got a lot of good people out here, but they're sitting around doing nothing. Well, we've come to a place in this game where we can no longer just sit on the sidelines and spectate. If you're going to spectate and you're not going to get involved. I mean, I look at this radical stuff that they're pushing on our children. You know, uh, if you would have told me, you know, I'm, I was born in 1978, so I grew up through the 80s and 90s. If you would have told me that we would have five-star generals that are transgender and we would have, you know, uh, tranny story time for children and the number one rapper would be a gay rapper and, you know, that rides a stripper pole and, and jumps on Satan's lap and gives him a lap dance. You know, we live in a society where like we as spiritual people know, like, dude, these demons are no longer hiding. They're out here in plain sight. They're parading right in front of us. You know, they're not no longer ashamed. Like they kicked their their game into high gear. So we as God's people, we need to kick our game into high, high gear. And I'm no longer spectating whether it's starting with politics on a local level, because let's be honest, man. People say, oh, we're going to vote harder this next election cycle. Like, look what they did this last election cycle. You don't think that they're capable of lying, cheating, and stealing? What do you think's going on with our southern borders? What do you think that's going on with all these agendas? What do you think that's really going on between the, in Maui? You know, there's so much evidence that that's direct energy weaponry, and they're just getting rid of those ancestral people for their land because they want to build a smart city. Like, look at this stuff. You know, and people that would be like, oh, you know, there's no way that they would do that. There's no way that that was an attack on those people, that that was orchestrated or a direct energy whip weapon. Well, um, you've entertained the thought of 9-11 and, you know, they killed, you know, over 3000 Americans in 9-11. You don't think that they're capable of killing a thousand people in a fire ritual like you better wake up like people better wake up 
and look at what's going on. And, you know, I'm grateful that I had this relationship with the Lord. I always pray for knowledge. I pray for wisdom and I pray for the spirit, spirit of discernment is very important, you know, and you got to ask to see through things. But the number one thing, and this is my key, this is, this is what I found when I disconnected and I said, I'm shutting off the television. I'm not going to listen to the main. Sh- I'm not saying that I don't want to know what's going on in the news, but I'm going to go to sources that I find reliable. I'm not going to go to Fox. I'm not going to go to CNN. I'm not going to go to ABC or CBS. You know, I have I have people that I know are reliable sources that do their homework, and I'll listen to what they have to say. And if I have something that they are saying that I question, I'll go dig in it myself. But I mean, it starts with realizing if people would just shut that off and think for themselves and live day by day and just focus on building positive interactions with people one day at a time and impacting the world around you and who we have contact with and stop listening to that stuff and stop living in fear, we could actually change our world. We could actually change our community, you know, but people aren't willing to do that. They'd rather be spoon fed their information. They'd rather drive through that drive through and get a, get a quick meal than, than, than cook a healthy meal and feed it to their children at home and sit down and actually eat. Like we live in a society where they're after the nuclear family home. They're breaking up moms and dads. You know, I know so many couples that me and my woman used to hang out with that didn't survive the pandemic. Like I think 90% of my friends that were in relationships and marriages, you know, got divorced or split up during the pandemic. I mean, the devil is out here. He's on the prowl and it's time that we start to form back together. And I see a huge movement of the Holy Spirit and it's podcasts like yours and podcasts like mine coming together and our listeners coming together and them taking this information and sharing it with their loved ones. I mean, that's the way we have to get it out there, right? We have to fight the enemy with his own tools. Because everybody says, you know, like, you know, they think David slayed Goliath with a rock. He only knocked him out with a rock. He killed him with his own sword. So we need to fight the enemy on his own grounds. And we could use the same weapons that he's using against us, against him. So I commend you for what you're doing. And it looks like Alex wants to chime in, brother, and he's got some stuff for you. So I'm going to, I know that's kind of long-winded too, but we, we got to be passionate about this stuff. You know, we have to, because it's life or death right now. We're in overtime, uh, and I'm not losing this game. Right on. Hey, Billy, I, I did have a question. I mean, I have an electrical background, so I, I really want to know about generators, how much gasoline, how much diesel you have, if you do any kind of wind power or solar, or if you actually have anything in your creek, like a water generator or anything like that. That, that stuff really interests me a lot. Yeah, I also have an electrical background. I'm I'm a International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers uh, journeyman electrician. So me too. Uh, wow. Well, local 124, Kansas City. It's where I've I've been a member in good standing for a long, long time. Um, so I I didn't realize you're also IBW. What are the odds, huh? Pretty cool. I was a power electrician for ten years in uh, near the Arctic, if you can believe it. Oh, oh, we, oh, we got to get into that. Uh, in, with regards to yours, I'm trying to go as low tech as possible regarding everything. Now, one thing that we've done consistently is that we would go someplace, go find a place, fix it up, and then move on, do, do this over and over and over again. This just happens to be the place where we said, okay, we're not moving anymore, enough of this gypsy life, so let's get something. So what we have in terms of power generation is, number one, there's sensible ways in which you can eliminate first get rid of all the power you don't need for example water heater huh could you use a solar water heater 
Um, we make so much compost out of here. We make bioactive, well, compost pile, the cup piles we put together can be every bit of 150 degrees. And you could literally take three piles, put them together and run, let's say the water to your house through those piles, depending on which one is hotter. And you could have hotter water through that system alone than you ever could through a water heater. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two, in terms of, uh, so we're looking for a low tech solutions, um, so that we, our power requirement and our audit is very, very low to begin with. So if things do jump off, okay, it's, uh, let's say it's dead of winter. I can survive a summer here. Okay. It really doesn't get above 90 degrees where we are. In fact, this whole summer, it's, it hasn't gotten any higher than 88 so far. So in my place, I'm thinking, okay, well, winter's my biggest threat. Well. What if you have electric heat? What if you have gas heat? Can't rely on those things. So you better be thinking about wood heat. And, and do you have a wood heater that can heat the entire place? And can it do it passively? Can you do it without having to force air? So that's another thing to consider. Um, it's a matter of getting all these different things off of the power in every possible way we can. Now, I've talked to you about all the freezers we have down there. Well, that's a problem, right? Unless you're like us, where you're freeze-drying meat, meals, 24-7. That Harvest Strike freeze-dryer is, I mean, that thing is doing its work. So we have a, an enormous amount of food put back in the form of uh, freeze-dried food, which, you know, it doesn't depend on refrigeration. And as far as power generation that we do have, we do have, um, we have a couple of generators. We also have some solar generators that are sufficient enough to really power, well, I haven't really put it to the full test, but honestly, if I were just going on the solar generator, uh, long term, you might get a week out of that at the most, but we're honestly gearing ourselves up to be as low tech as possible. So um, we have, you know, as far as cooking, think about things like a sun oven, you know, or, you know, if you're in a tactical environment and don't think folks, if things get stupid enough and they jump off, well, that just became a tactical environment. So that doesn't mean you just go putting out a fire. You don't just build a fire anywhere in a tactical <laughs> environment. The smell of it is either giving away your position or the visual at night is giving away your position. So you got to be thinking about alternate ways in which you could cook food. Well, solar oven might be your answer for that, you know, um, have, you know, that saying goes in the preparedness world, two is one, one is none. So we want to be thinking about those things as well. So but the biggest thing is right off the bat is redundancy and finding out how you can eliminate certain items from the grill, uh, from the grid. And that's exactly how we work. And that brings me right back also, I know you didn't ask this question, but this is why we also get people to concentrate on dry goods. Um, Raul, a little bit ago, you were asking about, um, or you were saying that you had these buckets full of MREs and all this and that. The reason why I would discourage anybody, if you're just getting into this, to not do that is because the price of what it would cost for a 30-day meal pack is going to be, honestly, in most cases, is going to be enough. If you were to go out and buy those things, dry goods, the rice, the beans, the, the fat, the salt, and all the things you need, you could feed probably a family of six for 90 days. You really could for the cost of yeah. maybe maybe not just one of those buckets, but when you pay for that convenience, it's going to be, it's going to go much further. But when it comes to reconstituting this stuff, 
going right back to your question, Alex, is that we want things that we can reconstitute without giving away our position in a tactical environment. So if it's freeze-dried, you know what? Just need to put a little water in there, okay? Um, when it comes to, if I'm going to cook a real meal, well, do I need to turn on the electric stove or gas stove? No, well, if there's any sunlight out there, I want to use a sun oven. And all, worst case scenario, I'll use fire. There's either another, there's e even another thing out there where you can take these fire bricks, you stick them into whatever fire you have, you get that thing smoking like 600 degrees, you stick it down in this little container, Put your little crock pot inside that container, cover it up, and then bam, you know, 10 hours later, eight hours later, man, you got, you got a fantastic meal. So there's all kinds of friendly tech out there like that. But number one thing is get yourself, try to, try to audit your energy and eliminate as much of it as you possibly can. You got, we, you said an earth ship a moment ago. They have a really good design for a solar uh, water heater. And I know they work up in Canada. Even solar greenhouses that work up in Canada, like the Chinese models that they have up there, or Wafatis or anything like that, they're used all over Canada right now. I know that for a fact. And they work extremely well. They face south. Or if you're in a more arid environment, or, okay, well, you guys live in very, very different environments. So, mm -hmm. you know, Raul, in your case, you're going to want to design things a little bit differently, but you're generally going to look at the same things. Try to get yourself as off the grid as you can possibly get and ask yourself. And that really comes down to a look at the power to go. That's why I always tell everybody to prepare for an EMP. Why an EMP? Because it's the work of all the disasters out there. In our Western culture, if you prepare for that, then you're pretty much prepared for pretty much everything else. You really are. I mean, you think of all the other potential disasters that could go on, but if you have no power, Man, I'm telling you what, you got 72 hours to get where you're going or somebody's going to knock you over the head with the water bottle you got. So I hope I, 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 hope I did a, at least a somewhat adequate job of answering your question there, bro. Yeah, I'm assuming that you're not going to, like, you're trying to low-tech it, so you're not going to do battery storage by any means. I mean... No, there is some. There is some. To yeah. Actually, we do have batteries. Uh, I intentionally... I'm glad you brought that up because we do... Our animal systems, that's another thing we do. Okay, instead of using cows, which, and I got rid of the cows because they give away your position. Mm. Um, I'm always looking at everything from a tactical lens. So I'm like, well, what can I use that can produce we even more meat and it's easier to hide should I require it? And that's going to be sheep and goats. So we stick, and plus I, I prefer the meat of sheep, especially hair sheep more than anything else. So we run those systems. We keep these animals contained in their grazing cells, through our permaculture grazing cells, with batteries. And those batteries are, hard, are hooked to a solar charger. Or we can take those batteries to cycle them out, go get them recharged up on, you know, it could be our, um, well, any number of means in which we can do that. So we do have a means to go ahead and recharge batteries. And we do, get, we do rely on DC systems for certain things, whether it's uh, water pumping water to a certain extent to get it in a holding tank or whether it be um, looking at our, after our animals. I intentionally put in DC systems. AC systems are pretty handy, but DC systems, at the end of the day, it's the, it's the best in the grid down scenario because I can find a way to charge this battery. All I need is a, um, a solar panel and a diode, and I can make sure this thing's charged it. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, and that's, that's why I'm trying to lean towards DC systems, 
batteries to do the best I can. If it got that stupid, you know, um, we got plenty put back in terms of batteries, but I'm not counting on the regular creature comforts. If I'm to that point, then you know what? It's hunting out of the woods. It's, you know, looking after our animals the best we can. And when you have room and it's three eating grass anyway, so I don't need to give them much else. Um, we raise our chickens for free with, you know, and we show people how to do that. So we also built in re redundancy. Now it does require, I will say for anybody looking to get into this lifestyle, it does require more elbow grease. The more reliant you get on nature, the more it requires out of you. So we didn't get that. Could you try again? I don't know if you guys heard any of that. Yeah, Google's listening to No problem. Are you guys hearing this? Yeah, yeah. What? I don't oh, know. Oh, man. I'm not even touching this thing, man. Hey, I, yeah, dude, me me either, bro. Oh, I'm just on. Couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> Who? Where's that coming from? Is that on your end, Alex? No, that's Billy's. That's Siri on his end. It's on my end, bro, and I haven't touched anything. Wow. Uh, yeah, we got some periodic stuff popping off here on the firmamental podcast firmamentalist though uh yeah that was uh unintended that's not scripted that I'll, I'll be honest with you that's that sort of thing has happened in fact we've had some other weird things go on with our roadcaster and all the other stuff in our podcast and i remember seeing la marzuli talk about doing this once in a video where he prayed where they were trying to get this uh alien implant out of this old boy and um they couldn't find it and then he prayed that the Lord make it visible, and then bam, right on the spot. We've had to do the same thing right here in the studio, where we've had friends of Tony Merkel on before, and then some weird things start jumping off, and um, we pray, and then uh, it's, it's curious how those things just scatter, you know, we'll do with the presence of the name Jesus. So, um, yeah. Yeah, amen. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty wild. <laughs> where that came from so we rebuke any evil spirit in the name of jesus christ right now so yeah and you know i'm really good really good i'm sorry i said thanks for your answer uh that was uh really informative uh because that was like really you know all this stuff is fascinating to me i'm like man i i'm actually excited to like look at all your videos and and like get in on this and and start doing something like this. I just got to convince my wife to stop living the luxurious lifestyle I provided to her and which switch up <laughs> yeah. that lifestyle to something different. Well, you know, the, you know, the hardest thing when you get into this is you realize, and I don't know that it's necessarily hard. It takes a, it take. you know, I didn't grow up doing this. I had to learn these skills along the way, you know, and thankfully I did it at a time in the world where things weren't as nearly as uh, consequential as they are right now, as far as getting things wrong. And I became unafraid of making mistakes, but I got to say, man, I'll tell you what's, I'll tell you what's beautiful right now. Like right now we have food for us. We have orchards. Peaches have come and gone. I'm out here picking my own peaches. I'm out here picking my own blueberries. Um, pears are just about ready. We got apples that are going to be later on. We set up these systems to where we have fruit. And you know, the cool thing about apples is that it's the last fruit. That comes out. So you can have that all the way to November, but we grow the kind of apples that'll keep for almost a year well, and they stay fresh. So we have like some of the best tasting apples you'll ever have. Like one of them's called the Evercrisp. And that thing will keep almost, if you just put it in the right environment, I mean, you could be eating fresh apples, you know, eight months from now or until you're all the way into the next apple season if you store them properly. But when you taste this food that didn't come out of a store, 
when you went out there and literally picked the blueberries or the raspberries, or, I mean, just down there in my food forest, man, we had so far a hundred gallons, a hundred gallons of strawberries, fresh strawberries down there Mm. that we gave them to a local ice cream place. And they make, I mean, man, they make some, man, it feels like you're in the middle of a York peppermint patty commercial, man, when you eat some of this ice cream they make out of this stuff. Or they make a sorbet or whatever the case may be, being a blessing to them because we're producing so much abundance that we have to give it away. But when you, if you can get your wife or other people get their, their spouses or whatever the case may be, and you get out there and you try fresh eggs for the first time, you try the meat that we grow here, you try the vegetables that we produce here, you try all these, you, you taste when people realize, Hey, the apple, every apple you buy in the grocery store is a year old. And then you compare that to one that you just picked off the tree. It tastes like a Jolly Rancher. It really does. You don't realize how lifeless and how flavorless this food is. Yeah. Or a tomato that was just, you know, a hothouse tomato. Okay. Compared to the one that you grew in your garden, even if you use something like miracle Grow. at the end of the day, the biggest addictive thing to this lifestyle, I got to be honest with you, is when people actually taste the food because- Part of my impetus to getting into this was like, look, there's no way I can afford this quality of food unless I grow it. There's no way I can do this. I can't, you can't buy eggs this good. You can't buy chicken this good. There's nothing, there is no producer out there that can compete with us. And then better still, we're doing it with waste streams. We're literally taking waste streams of one animal. For example, our pigs, for example. Everything, we feed everything to pigs, basically, but other pigs. We feed everything to chickens, but except other chickens. Now, how do we do this? How do we, how do we feed these chickens or these pigs and raise them for 21 cents a pound? How do we do that? Well, I'm also a journeyman electrician. You know, I make myself, you know, there's a couple of bakeries around here. And you know what? When they need a little bit of work done, maybe I go over there and just go, hey, what do you need? You know what? I've actually taught courses on how to do this. So I'm taking waste streams from organic bakeries. I'm feeding it to my chick. My my pigs and chickens eat better than most people. I kid you not. So we're taking high-class, world-class food. You've been to Asheville. Um, We got some really great places to eat. Mm -hmm. And these people are falling over themselves to give me all their vegetable and um, bread waste. So I feed it to my animals. And they love it. Now, it's like uh, if I were to take you and I say, okay, we're in a survival position right now. Okay, I want you to live out here. you got a choice. I want you to eat MREs for 90 days or I want you to eat fresh food. I don't even need to ask. You're going to pick fresh food every time. Well, that's how our pigs and chickens eat. We don't have to give them dry food. We can give them literally fresh food. There's nothing wrong with it. And that's how we raise our... So we partner with these people and they feel better about their businesses and about themselves when somebody like me rolls in once a week and then just, I mean, just think about it. Just one visit to a Chipotle is enough to feed six pigs and about 50 chickens. And that's just one visit to a Chipotle restaurant to get their food scraps. I've made partnerships with all these people around here. It's gotten so big that, I mean, literally one of the local colleges where these highfalutin kids don't want to eat anything other than organic. Okay, that's fine. They throw away 600 pounds a day of organic food waste. 
600 pounds a day. Do you have any idea how many animals you could feed with that? Wow. This is saying if we were to just do simple things like, oh, here's an idea. We got all this vacant land alongside interstates. If we were to just graze mm. animals alongside the interstates, there wouldn't be a hungry person on this planet. Not a single one. If we were to just graze the side of interstates, all we'd have to do and do a high density grazing model like we'd have our, and this is exactly how you do it on a farm. So we'd have our cows go through first. The grass is up this high, the cows eat it down a little bit. Then we run our sheep through through it. They eat it down a little bit more. Then we run our ducks through. They eat it a little bit more. Then we run our chickens through. They eat it down even more. And then if you want, you can run rabbits all across the same ground. And you don't come back to that ground for 90 to 180 days. They could go down one side of the interstate, turn around, and come back. Yeah. And it feed entire communities. And it's amazing how complex these issues become. But the problems, the solutions are embarrassingly simple. They really are. And this is what we're trying to bring to bear. So instead of all these people throwing their stuff in the trash, I'm like, hey, you know what? The permaculture pimp daddy here has got a solution for you. Let me go in there and swoop in once a week or whatever. And then from time to time, you know what? Like the people I work with, when I process a pig, guess what? I drop off, a, I drop off some pork chops. You want some fresh eggs? Okay, got you covered. Because we, for a time there, we're producing so much eggs that, you know what? Okay, so what do we do? That third ethic I was telling you about? Um, giving it to the previous two. We got earth care, people care, and um, excess given to the previous two. Well, we were producing so many eggs that we were giving it to our dogs. That's what we feed our dogs is eggs, raw eggs. And it's the best dog <laughs> in the world. So our chickens produce so much, have had to produce so much that we got to give it to our dogs. Or guess what else we could do with it? We could feed it to the pigs. So you could have this self-licking ice cream cone, so to speak, just using methods that already exist, these are not difficult problems. It just takes a community of people like you guys were talking about meeting up. Man, you guys could really design an incredible system where everybody would benefit. And it's a joy when you go out there and you, you move these animals from paddock to paddock, and I know that they are happy. And they only have a bad day. They only have one bad day in the course of their lives. They live in bliss every single day when they're on this farm or any place we manage, they have one bad day, and that's the day that they go into the freezer. And the best part is they don't even know what's happened. Yeah. Wow. So I was just going to ask you uh, about the dogs, you know, because I, I have three huge dogs and then one small dog, but I'm a dog lover. So that's how you're feeding your dogs, though, uh, is, is strictly with eggs? No. Well, well let me go back a, a little bit more. It's eggs. Till my wife got more involved with it. It's we feed our dogs eggs and um, guts. You know why? Because that's what they feed sled dogs mm -hmm. up in Alaska. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's what they give them. If you were to watch wild dogs out there and you look at the alpha dog, what does he eat? He eats the liver, the kidneys. He eats, they don't eat the meat. That's what we eat. But dogs, when wild dogs make a kill, the alpha yeah. dog always eats the heart, the liver, the lungs, all the all the organ meat, that's who gets it. Why? Because that's where all the nutrients are. So, you know, I don't particularly like to eat those things. So we take all that, grind it up, and we make our own special dog food out of it. So they get every day. Freeze dried? You could. You could do that. But we don't freeze dry it. We just freeze it. Um, like my great Pyrenees, the one that looks after the sheep, you know, he's, uh, 
let's see, I think in the morning she gives him like five eggs. And uh, here lately she's been giving him kibble. But what I was doing in charge of the feeding, we basically feed them guts and eggs. And here's the best part about it, bro. Raul, check this out. I guarantee if you're feeding your dog dry dog food and then, okay, you know, if you got them in a confined area, you're going to find poop everywhere eventually. You know, they're going to fill it up. You're going to have to deal with it. But when you feed them this way, you're going to find out that their poop actually decomposes. You won't find it. You won't find it. It decomposes into the earth. You got to give it a little bit of time, but you're not going to be out there six months from now with a pooper scooper trying to pick it up. And here's the best part about it all. They eat about two-thirds less when we feed them this way. And we're talking high-performance dogs. They got to be out here, you know, running off coyotes and all the other stuff. So even our animals, like whenever we process chickens, all those chicken guts go to the pigs. We feed them yeah. the, pigs the dogs. And whenever we process pigs, guess what? All that organ's going to go to the dogs, usually. All the excess eggs, that goes to the dogs. Because they are, we learned this from a uh, veterinarian by the name of Dr. Joel Wallach. He used to be uh, the, he used to be the uh, veterinarian for Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom over in Africa. And he was the one that basically gave us the idea for being able, he didn't tell us to do this. I heard him talk one day and I was like, well, let me give this a shot. Then I found out what sled dogs, sled dogs eat. And I'm like, hold on, man. People would call this abuse, but this, these dogs love this stuff. You try to give them oh, yeah. They're like, man, get that out of here. Get that weak stuff out of here, man. I'll give me the Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I you yeah, might I know that sign. It's and it's amazing. Like he loves it. He is a happy, happy dog. Like we get the raw, raw patties from the farm. And yeah, yeah they mix mixed organs in there. And, you know, knock on wood, he's been healthy for five years. He his crap is smaller than our cat's crap. And then yeah. I don't even pick it up. It like you said, it just decomposes in the grass. Like I don't I don't pick up his crap. Like that's seriously wow. what you're saying is the truth. It is, it is amazing. It, but oh, that's man, the beauty about this, that. bro, that that's the beauty about this lifestyle is that it does require work. I'm not going to kid anybody. I'm not going to tell you that, Hey, you can go out here and do to do it holistically the way we do. It does require some elbow grease, but honestly, morning chores might take, I don't know. Let's say you're even slow at it. And let's say it's just a group, a, a pair of you. You can honestly go out there and do morning chores in 20 to 30 minutes. And I'm talking high density grazing, moving the chickens every day, moving the sheep every day, pigs every day. I mean, your chores. So I spent an hour a day at the most doing any kind of physical work. And then the rest of it, I'm doing what I want. But this is part of what I want because I get joy. And then here's the best part about it is that when you roll them in this holistic way of doing it, Every single time we run these animals through these paddocks and we keep them moving, the benefit is that when we come back to that same piece of ground, it is improved dramatically. So we're not in the, you ever hear everybody talk about sustainability, man, forget a bunch of that. I ain't trying to be sustainable. Why? It's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. So why do I want to be sustainable at anything? I want to regenerate. And that's what we there do. There you go. We, we, we're not doing the, the sustainable business. We're regenerating. And that's exactly what we've been doing for years. That's a, the place I live right now. It's a place nobody wanted. Nobody wanted this thing. And we are now with all, we're bringing to bear this. And permaculture is basically a toolbox of methods. And then we look in there and say, okay, what are we up against? Okay, what method do we use? And that's exactly what we bring to bear 
is the thing that's going to produce the best out of it. And what we're finding in this ground that nobody wanted, we got, we're having bumper crops of more fruit and berries and nuts and everything else that you could possibly have. And we've only been here, this November will make four years. So we built this thing from the ground up and we already, we're getting harvest off of these trees already. And people just are having a hard time believing that we're producing these things as quickly as we have. Now, the Lord has clearly blessed what we do. But in addition to that, we put a number of, we're like that Liam Neeson character. You know, I got a list of skills. You know what? There you go. That's exactly what we bring to bear when it comes to this land. So it's not going out there and raping the landscape. It's massaging it. It's working with it because we find out every single step I move towards nature, nature will walk five back to you. But if you try to steamroll nature and you go out there using a bunch of chemicals and all these other things, you're fighting an uphill battle. So we just find a way. For example, let's say you got a grasshopper problem out there. Everybody say you got a grasshopper problem, right? Well, we don't look at it that way. You don't have a grasshopper problem. You got a lack of turkeys problem. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> you, don't have a, you don't have a slug problem. You got a lack of duck problem. So I'm sitting here fattening up turkeys because everybody thinks they got a grasshopper problem. No, I just don't have enough turkeys out there to eat them up. Once you get that in balance, guess what? The turkeys will keep them in balance. And now I got a bunch of turkey to put in the freezer. Well, I don't know if you guys like duck meat, but I'll put a herd on some duck. Okay. <laughs> so, like I said, you got a slug problem. You got a, <laughs> you got a mosquito problem. Well, I got a lack of duck problem. That's not the way I look at it. And this is the way the native people of this country, all the way from Mexico, all the way up to the, to Alaska. Well, depending on how we look at things here, I was going to say South America. I was going to say Antarctica all the way up to the Arctic. <laughs> yeah, there's actually no indigenous people in Antarctica. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that this is, this is the way it was always done. And then through the canon of just stupidity, un I mean, just unbelievable stupidity, we know the price of everything and the value of nothing. So yeah. we lost all this indigenous skill and everything that we've tried to rediscover in permaculture and we're discovering more all the time. And we're finding out all you, you don't need chemicals. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need good methods and technique and you need to work at it. I think what Billy is saying is real science. And we've been following the scientism cult. Like these guys that only care about money, only care about poisoning us, chemicals. It's, I mean, seriously, Billy, what you're saying is... Everybody doesn't that really doesn't that really overlay with what you guys talk about in your podcast in terms of everything? Look, we are in a we're in a society right now, gentlemen, where we celebrate the idiots and castigate the intellectuals. We really do. Yeah, yeah. Anybody, anybody that asks a critical question about the status quo, like whether or not this Earth is flat or round, you know, these are not questions I would have ever entertained a decade ago. And then in the, in the, in the passage of time, I'm like, I've been ingrained with this so much that I have never even taken a serious look until I was confronted. And then we went down to a flat earth thing down in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, wow. I'm like, okay, well, they had this thing. I mean, there was like all the top people, I guess, within the field. I, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I'll be honest with you. Mm. So how you end up there? Yeah, it wasn't us. We weren't there. No, I'll tell you how I ended up there. Uh, there's a guy named Freeman Fly does the uh, the oh the Free Zone podcast or whatever, 
And he had mentioned it on his podcast and he was saying, look, and it, it was at the time where everybody was losing their mind. Well, in South Carolina, people weren't playing that game. Where I live in this part of North Carolina, nobody was wearing a mask. Nobody ever bought any of it. So it was a small town enclaves. Well, they found this um, this um, hall down there that was basically a mason hall. They rented it out. The Flat Earth people did. And it was in Greenville, South Carolina. And we heard about it there. So I'm like, man, I'm going to go down here. I was like, it was the only thing. Th everything was a ghost town. We go down there. As soon as we cross the border into South Carolina, I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, looks like things are almost normal here. We show up to this place. I'm looking at these folks in South Carolina, and we pull up to the event, and there ain't a single person wearing a mask. So I'm like, huh. I'm already liking what I see because I'm like, okay, if these people aren't believing the BS, maybe I need to take a second look at this flat earth thing. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, if they're seeing through the BS of this COVID, because at that time I thought I was just, I was like, me and my family were all alone. There is nobody, everybody's buying this. So when I, I went down there, there was not a single person and there had to be 500 people at this event. There was not a single person wearing a mask. We go in there and now this is where it got a little bit crazy because I didn't, I didn't even get a chance. Some people recognized me from my YouTube thing. And so they started talking to me and I'm like, how do you politely say, well, hey man, I'm really here to try to learn about this flat earth thing, but they're talking to me about other things. So as this thing goes on, they open up the bar in this place, y'all. And we're talking, it's the crack of noon. Man, <laughs> these people have been, these people have been tied up for so long, dude. They were as drunk as Hogan's goat. They were, <laughs> they, they opened up the bar at noon and I'm not kidding you, bro. It was like an hour later and people were practically falling all over. And I didn't, dude, I wasn't tripping, man. I was like, dude, people have been tied up for so long. There yeah. were people that came from Canada. I kid you not. There were people that came all the way from Vancouver that were at this event in South Carolina. There were people that from New York, LA, you name it. And I was like, what did we get into, man? Everybody is at this thing. And it was just a joy to be there, even though I, I, I really didn't get I got a a couple of presentations, but it was more, everybody was more, it was like a party. Just happy to be out. Yeah. Yeah, it was a party yes. purpose, man. They were just glad to be there. So I never really got a lot of flat earth answers um, at this event. I've since heard of another, but, you know, I do have questions. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure that I've actually, okay, you guys are like, bring it, huh? Yeah, yeah, dude. I was going to say, man, shoot a few our way. Like, uh, go ahead and fire a few questions at us and okay. see what we can get going here. Okay. Well, the first one right off is, um, okay, doggone. I'm here. I am saying I got questions and, yeah, and yeah, I'm no. on the blank. But no. Okay. The Coriolis effect. Okay. So if mm -hmm. I'm down in South America and I flush a toilet, it's going the opposite way as up here. How do you, how do you deal with that? So that's actually not true. It's actually just the way that the water pours in the cylinder. Um, that's actually already been debunked. And, you know, a great resource, the Coriolis effect isn't one of my strongholds. Maybe Alex can give you a better answer, but I do know that that's actually false. It's been debunked and there is a great app that you can get. It's only cost $2.99 on your phone. It's called the Flat Earth Clock app. I got and it. It's by, yeah, it's by Dave Weiss, man. Any question that you have, go look at the Coriolis stuff. But um, okay. yeah, man, it's actually just the way that the the water is being 
poured into the cylinder is the way that it's going to flow down. It doesn't actually pour at a different, uh, you know, at at a, the opposite clockwise or counterclockwise. Okay. So, oh, I'm sorry. I know you're going to weigh in on this too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the way I understand the Coriolis effect is because being in a military background, we are, we're talking about like snipers and how the earth is moving underneath this bullet that's traveling uh, a long distance. You have to, you have to, um, over, overcome the earth's rotation so that you can still hit the target from so far away. So one, one of my silver bullets is, um, a lot of heliocentric believers, like, like regular folks are heliocentric believers. They believe the sun is the center of the solar system. They, they think that the, the earth is rotating 1000 miles per hour at the equator. So I was telling Raul in one of my silver bullets, I said, if me and Billy go up in two hot air balloons and one hot air balloon is attached to the ground and the other one is just floating freely in one hour, our balloons should roughly be about a thousand miles apart because the earth has actually dragged my hot air balloon away from you a thousand miles. It makes sense, right? If, right. if the earth is actually rotating and then the other balloon just like a butterfly or something that's like hanging in the sky is free and independent of the earth's rotation. You should technically be a thousand miles apart after one hour, give or take some wind, but that just would never happen. I mean, we even joked about me coming to uh, Albuquerque in what October there's the hot air balloon fest. Yeah. And yeah, they do a balloon fiesta here in October. Yep. And we also did, uh, did you ever hear about the Red Bull jump? Oh Yeah. So what that guy did was he went up in a balloon, uh, what was it, 120,000 feet, right? Above New Mexico. Like, it takes a long time to get up there, right? And then he- Three hours. Yeah. And then he looks out and then he jumps. Well, guess what? He lands in New Mexico still. The earth didn't like, like take off on him, right? Yeah. He should have landed in the Pacific Ocean if the earth's spinning underneath him. Yeah. Thousand miles an hour is a thousand miles an hour is like three, you know, three to five thousand miles. It should have moved over underneath him. I I find this fascinating. You know, when I was out there at the Earthship uh, build in Arizona, it was strange because um, it was strange in a good way in that I was able to have these conversations. I was, and it was funny because there was a couple of guys out there that were really awake to this, but everybody else not so much. And in fact, they even mocked this guy who seemed to be quite committed to the flat earth thing. And I'm like, well, why can you not consider it? Okay, I'm looking at the sky. Now, there's certain things that I'm right on the money with, but I'm like, okay, fellas, maybe you can help me out with this one. We can. What I don't know is I'm like, okay, you definitely, I don't know that you've proved that the earth is flat as much as you've proven that we were lied to about what is officially known. Yeah, and you know what I'm saying is, does that make sense? Is that I don't know that I'm hearing an argument necessarily. It, it stands to reason. I, I I tend to think there's a lot of merit to what you guys are talking about, but I'm I guess what I'm getting at is, I don't know that the evidence that I've been presented to thus far proves that the Earth is flat as much as I guess I'm saying it the same way, as much as that the information that we've been officially told is an absolute manufactured lie. Okay, so this one was a big one for me. And I like you, I used to think Flat Earth was ridiculous. I didn't get into it during its heyday when it had its free run on YouTube and it was the most searched thing. And actually like TikTok openly allows this content. Like uh, we, we know 
uh, the thing that really started to open me up to it when I realized the government was actively censoring this information. Then that perked my interest, right? Because anything that they tell us not to look into, I want to look into because I know they're fork tongue liars, right? So it's the same thing when you would go and you would Google. Google's the worst search engine to use for this because it's going to shoot you to shill organizations like the Flat Earth Society that talks about this floating space pancake. Like, no, that's not what we believe. Like me personally, I believe it more from a biblical aspect. You know, there's in numerous amounts of time that the Lord talks about uh, the earth being immovable, standing on pillars, you know, and what really started to sink this in with me was when I grasped the concept of the sky clock, right? The sun tells you what time of the day it is. The moon tells you what time of the month it is. And the stars tell you what time of the year it is. And they revolve around us. I believe in a heliocentric universe that we are the center of God's creation. And those were created like right off in the jet in the book of Genesis, right? It says God created two lights, one for the day and a lesser a greater light and a lesser light, you know, for the night. So that's, and I look at it, the sun is the positive, the moon is the negative. You know, um, all these numbers that they give us, like saying the, the sun is 93 million miles away and that the moon is 238,000 miles away. But when we happen to look at these celestial phenomenon in the sky, they look pretty much relevant in size to one another. You know, the astronomical chances that these two celestial bodies which are that vast amount of distances away from one another are actually look equal, appear equal in size in the sky. Like, uh, and Tesla said it himself. He said, what they're doing is they're reverse engineering math problems. They come up with the, with the number that they want, and then they reverse engineer math problems to fit that number. You know, I believe that we've never been through the firmament. And then you go and you research, you know, these occult institutions, by the way, we exist in the, in the, uh, the Rockefeller education system, right? They write all of our books. You go through their colleges, you go through their universities, you go through their astronomical programs. It's all the Rockefeller education program that they're going through to get those degrees. So they only preach the heliocentric model. We think of ancient man as these knuckle dragging imbeciles. You know, they had more knowledge about cosmology and the way these celestial bodies moved. And that's what really sunk it started to sink it in for me is when you look at these megaliths these ancient megaliths for instance like the pyramids of giza and the three pyramids of giza line perfectly with three stars in orion's belt the serpent's mount in ohio perfectly lines up with the constellation draco and the head of the snake points to polaris perfectly north i mean on and on and on whether it's stonehenge you know lining up with with the summer and winter solstice or you know the the mayan temples or machu picchu all of these calculate heavenly phenomenon that was the same then and is still the same today. If we were on this ever-expanding universe spinning at these astronomical speeds, so they say the Earth spins at a thousand miles an hour at the at the equator, like Alex said, but we're also traveling at sixty-six thousand six hundred miles in in this in this oval-shaped orbit around the sun. There's your six 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 right there, right? And you look at all this stuff like these megaliths still line up to these constellations today, they would have shifted over time if we were traveling at these astronomical speeds on this oblong orbit. They wouldn't still line up today. The reason why they line up is because we live on an immovable plane and those those are fixated celestial phenomenon, right? And even, even uh, gravity, right? We've been taught gravity and even their their uh, cats like Neil deGrasse Tyson say, oh, we can't even explain what gravity is. 
Like it's not actually gravity, man. You're going to tell me like uh, gravity strong enough that when we jump up, we get pulled right back down to the ground, right? It's holding things to the ground. It's actually density and buoyancy. Just like when you drop, and and I know Alex is going to chime in with a point after this, but you know, uh, let's say you have uh, a ping pong ball, a golf ball, and a and a balloon in your and a and a helium balloon in your hand, right? And you hold it over a body of water and you let them go, right? The golf ball is going to drop first. It's going to sink to the bottom of the water because it's denser than the water. The ping pong ball is going to fall uh, shortly after that. It's going to float on the water, and the helium balloon is going to go up. It's density and buoyancy. It's not gravity. We're not being pulled by this this uh, invisible force called gravity. You know, there's actually answers for everything in the flat Earth realm, and you know that's what really gets you to to understand this thing on a deeper level when you realize, like NASA, people say, "Why the lie? Why does it matter? Why does the shape of the Earth matter?" It's because they're actually hiding God from us. Because people, if they knew that we were in this enclosed system and God's throne is literally there above the firmament, and then you get into researching things like Operation Paperclip, and we brought over all these na- Nazi scientists and granted them immunity for their war crimes, and they're the ones that helped build NASA, and Walt Disney's the 33rd degree Mason, and Jack Parsons that started the Jet Propulsion Lab was in Aleister Crowley's Cult of Belima, you know, and all of these people worship who? the morning star, which is another name for Lucifer, you know, and, uh, them teaching the heliocentric model was a way of them writing God out of the equation. If they could get us to believe in the big bang and evolution and all these things and all their, they're all theories. They can't be proved just like they've never found the missing link. Like, uh, I mean, NASA's already been caught lying. You know, the reason why that they have to keep perpetuating this lie is they get 70 million tax dollars a day. That's their budget, daily budget. $70 $70 million a day. You know what we could be doing with that money, you know, but that goes straight into the industrial war machine, you know, and along with this comes all their other agendas, whether it's global warming or the threat of being slammed by some meteor. So we need to come up with this uh, missile defense system, or now they're pushing this alien agenda when actually, you know, I believe it's the fallen angels and they're at, they're here. They're already amongst us, you know, but all this has an agenda behind it. And when you start to realize this and then you start to look and let your senses speak to you and, and you stop listening to what they're saying and just go outside and pay attention to the sky. And you could calculate the where the sun and the moon are going to be depending on what time of the day it is, what time of the month it is, you know, and, and, and you can you can track these celestial phenomenon and realize they're actually moving. And then with high power cameras and we can see way beyond the curve and the fact that their training manuals always talk for landing on a flat non-rotating surface mariners use a flat earth map they don't use the globe you know uh and then even long suspension bridges you know and these long rail systems these architects and engineers don't calculate for curvature that'd be highly important there's vast distances that these are traveling on a perfectly level plane i mean it's called horizon because it lays perfectly horizontal it's called water level because water always find it a level source Tell me one time that water sticks to a ball upside down or when it's being being flung around, it doesn't fly off of it, you know, and Alex made a perfect point and I'm going to shoot this to him because he has something for you. But imagine if you just drain the earth of all its water, what would the earth look like? Right. And then if you started to fill it back up, like where would the water go first? And think about this on the globe, on the, the spheric model, you know, that they teach us. It just doesn't make sense, you know. Um, what makes sense is that it's actually the Antarctic ice walls holding in the world's waters like a giant cup. And if you think about like what creates the tides, 
they say, you know, like it's, it's our orbit and the moon. Well, yeah, I think the sun and the moon do have an effect on, on the, on the tides, but it's salt water that has tides, not fresh waters. There's large bodies of fresh water on this world. They don't have tides, right? Like Lake Michigan on a perfect day with no wind stands perfectly still like a mirror. You know, if we were being moving around, you know, you would see, uh, that, that water moving, right. But you know, uh, the salt from the positive and the negative of, of the sun and the moon actually affect the salt, which actually reacts to the electrical charge that they're giving off. And it causes these tides. And if you think you ever went to a water theme park, right? The wave pool, how do they create the waves? It's a giant wall pushing the wit creating the waves, right? So imagine if we have the Antarctic ice shelf and it's the moving of the Antic Antarctic ice shelf along with the sun and the moon and the salinized water and the movement of the ice shelves causing, causing these tides in our oceans. You know, there's literally an answer for everything. You think you're fired up yet? <laughs> you fired up, Raul? And I, I think you hit him with like 50 bullets there. I don't even know if he had time to like come. <laughs> no, you know, you know, the funny thing is, Alex, uh, I, I, there's not a thing I heard so far that I disagree with him uh, on any of that. And then to this point, let me just throw this out real quick, because I, I was thinking of this as Raul was talking. Let's think about science for a minute. Okay, we're taught, we're told that Einstein basically changed the way the universe is looked at with a thought experiment. So let's just do one right now. Okay, science will openly admit I think this is kind of profound, if I do say so myself. Science will openly admit that they don't know how the pyramids were built. And those are right there in front of you. Those are something you can carefully <laughs> test. But they're going to tell me with total certainty that they know how the universe began. <laughs> or right. So how is it, you're, you're, perfectly, you're perfectly secure in a belief on something you can't possibly test. But you will openly admit that you don't know how a pyramid was built, which is right there in front of you. But you could take something as infinitely complex as a human body and tell me you know the origins of life or how this all works. And then when you were talking about the um, the pyramids of Giza and some of the other ones, uh, um, the other structures at like Teotihuacan and Sacsayhuaman and some of these others, yeah, that Edwin Hubble basically discovered that the universe. This is what I learned in college, you know, that the universe is not only expanding, but it's accelerating, right? Well, if that were the case, and those pyramids have been there for thousands of years, like you said a moment ago, Raul, and then, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, Alex. I know you got something okay. to say. No, I want to hear you, yeah? I want to <clears throat> think about this. If they are so perfectly aligned to Orion's belt, and the universe and everything within it is not only expanding, but accelerating, there, it is an impossibility that they would still be lined up today, even marginal. Impossibility. So, once again, it, I don't know that it, it necessarily proved. I, I tend to think, because I, I, honestly, there's so many questions I have about this stuff, like even Hollow Earth. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm curious to where you guys eventually stand on that, but I, I'll toss it over to you, Alex. But I'm just saying, if you could see a pyramid right there in front of you that you can empirically test, and you're going to tell me you don't have a clue how that was built, but you're absolutely sure about the origins of life, that fundamentally should tell you that the whole system is whack. Yeah. What, one of the things that we talk about a lot of the times is scientism versus science. And what you talked about for the last hour and a half was all science. It's all stuff that we believe. It, we, 
I mean, it's amazing to hear you talk about this, that we don't need Bill Gates to poison and make all these Moderno or what Monsanto type vegetables so that we could all live longer lives. Like we know that's all crap, right? So one of the biggest things that we talk about is they've only ever dug eight miles down in Russia. And yet the earth's core is 4,000 miles below the surface. So here's, here's how far they dug and here's the surface or here's the center, but yet they know what's at the center of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Confidently what's there. Yep. And I like to joke that it's the Gravitron. That's what keeps us all stuck. If you're, if you're in Antarctica, you're stuck upside down on the, on the middle of this ball. And you know, you, you weigh the exact same as if you would if stand, standing on top of the ball. Well, Alex, there's, there's no lie that the American people cannot be made to believe. I mean, yeah. we're, we'll go right back to 9-11. You know, you're going to tell me this. They flew a plane into a building and this, they found a couple of passports on the other side where, I mean, what was this like a Marvel comic thing? What yeah. was those passports? Yeah. Forged, were these passports forged in the heart of a dying star? I mean, were they made out of adamantium? Maybe they got that stuff they put in Wolverine skeleton. Or maybe <laughs> that stuff that they got on Captain American shields, you know? I mean, but they bought this lemon and they sold this to the American public. But now think about this. I mean, imagine all of us at the bottom of Plato's cave and we've been told our whole lives, nobody in the course of their lives, think about it. Once you get beyond being a kid, most of us never have an original thought that wasn't programmed into us. And I'm, I mean that in the very general sense. Sure. Yeah. Most of us will never ask a critical question. And that's, I mean, and this is why I find so much overlap with the people who at least examine flat earth. Um, because I'm like, okay, every, there's not one thing Raul said there that I disagree with that doesn't make just common sense to me. Yeah. Just like it doesn't make sense to me to sit here and spray poison on a crop that I intend to eat. Right. Yeah. That there doesn't is. make sense to me. So why on earth am I? And also go right back to everything I think I know about everything was told to me by profligate liars. We know this. So why would I ever believe? Why would I ever believe anything officially told to me? In fact, what was it? Yuri Bezmenov that says, don't believe anything until it's officially denied. Right. So it just seems a good bear to just believe the opposite of whatever I'm officially told. But I, I, I still, I, I still don't, I tend to believe with what little examination I have, I tend to believe, I know for sure it's not what they say it is. I just don't know yeah. the evidence that it's necessarily flat. I don't, so, the ball thing ain't making any sense to me. So while you were talking during the whole, during the whole episode, I, I really got inspired. And this, <laughs> this came to me, I mean, I've read Genesis many, many times. And every time I read it, I get something different. And this was the thing that I never noticed before until about a, maybe three weeks ago, a month ago. And something just told me that you needed to hear this tonight. So I'm just going to give you a little trivia here. So do you, do you know what God created on the second day? It took him an entire day in Genesis to create this. Well, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Or the earth was without form and void, and darkness was the face of the deep. Okay, so... I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but this, is, this was what really hit me, was okay. the entire second day was the firmament. He created the firmament to separate the waters from the heavens and waters. So he created that physical protection. And that's why we are firmamental. We are protecting the dome. We live in this giant, perfect greenhouse that God created for us. 
we are, you know, we are the permaculture. We are the farm. And think mm-hmm. about think about this. I have I have goosebumps right now, so I know that God's like talking to me, like through me to you. Could you imagine if you took a vacuum cleaner and you just like didn't have that firmament protecting you? And you're just sitting there like on your farm and all of a sudden this giant Hoover vacuum cleaner hose just came down and just started sucking all the air in its, into outer space because it's this vacuum. It's this void, right? That's what would happen if we didn't have this perfect protection. God made everything perfect for us. And we are, this, this is God's farm, you know? And what you said, like we were looking at this Gleason map. There's a reason why the outer ring is the no man's land. Like we're not meant to go out there. Like we're not going to live out there. We need to like, we might not live at the North Pole either. It's a little bit cold there too. But if once you understand how the the sun rotates around between the Tropic of Cancer, the equator and and the Tropic of Capricorn, and if you're living in those areas, you'll, you'll have a lot nicer summer and winter, right? And, you know, a, as they rotate around, but I'm just saying like the firmament is that maybe it's that missing piece that you needed because... Without it, yeah. nothing makes sense, right? Like we couldn't live in this beautiful greenhouse. All of our oxygen, everything would just be sucked out. And that's, I mean, even if you don't believe the earth is flat, let's say it's a ball, let's say it's a globe, but it's got a, it's got a dome all around it because we have to be protected from outer space. Attend, let me offer a rebuttal. Sure. Okay, so... And it, and and I think I think it's a brilliant point. I gotta I gotta point that out. Um, I think that's fascinating. But why is it the higher I go? Now this is another permaculture principle. This is science. Yeah. For every thousand, like at the bottom of my property to the top is about a thousand feet. Now, what I can tell you from the bottom, I'm in zone. In in for those that don't know, at the bottom of my property, let's say is zone six. When I get to the top of my property, it's zone five. For every thousand feet that we go up in elevation, we move a latitude north in terms of our weather and in terms of our, so it's cooler the higher I go. Okay. Why is it cooler and why is the air thinner? To your point, and I tend to agree, I mean, like you said, I've never understood if we live in a vacuum of space, then this tiny little ball that they tell us we are would be absolutely dissipated in that vacuum. But why is it? Why does the air get thinner the higher I go? Why is it I eventually get to the point where I'll probably need oxygen or I'm going to pass out? I'm assuming it has to do with the actual weight of the air molecules. Because there's no doubt the higher you go, like if you go to Mount Everest, you need oxygen. Or, I mean, if you're Superman, you don't need oxygen. But obviously, the higher you go, the Red Bull jump. He was 120,000 feet. He jumped and he hit like, 1300 miles an hour where terminal velocity is about 240 miles an hour for a human but when there's no air resistance you're flying so yeah i mean our oxygen you know only goes to a you know a certain level as it as you're going up right okay i I can buy that because you're saying the density of the air obviously is going to sit heavier yeah the actual weight of the air molecules yeah no so yeah so no i totally get get it i'm sorry go ahead so get this. So, um, so when I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona, right? Phoenix is only a few hundred feet above sea level. Albuquerque, New Mexico is actually higher than Denver. So we're actually higher than the mile high city. 
Look, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona my whole life, okay? I never once got sunburned, you know? I'd get a real nice tan, but I never got sunburned. When I moved back to Albuquerque, New Mexico, I spent a day at the water park here and I didn't wear sunscreen and I got lobstered, bro, straight lobstered. Now, you're going to tell me that if the sun's 93 million miles away, a few thousand feet will, will affect that, you know? You're more exposed to the sun because the sun is actually a lot more local than what they, what, than what they say it is. Like, that's what we're telling you. Their whole, the whole model that they come up with and all the numbers that they give us. I mean, they're so freaking pompous to tell us that they know what's at the center of the sun. These people have no clue what's at the center of the sun. They can't even supposedly get near it. And it's 93 million miles away. Yet they're going to teach. They were teaching Alex's daughter the other day in school. And he'll profess to this. What was at the center of the sun? They literally are just making stuff up with scientism, you know, and they, they have people sold, but they ingrain this in a sense. We're a little kid, you know, how many kids have above their crib, the models of all the planets, you know what I mean? Where they put these stickers on your wall, you know, and it's in every book and it's in every movie. I mean, go back to the old movies, like back in the 1920s, you know, before they even knew, you know, when they could fly to these altitudes, you know, people were making maps of the flat earth before, like. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about Captain yeah, Cook and his man. adventures. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like his maps today, they say are even more accurate than some of the modern day maps that are being used. Like he mapped out New Zealand and Australia and all these places. And this dude's, you know, when he got to Antarctica, he said that he actually circumnavigated 67,000 miles and never found a gap in the ice wall, just sailed around. Because he actually sailed around the earth, right? And people think like, oh, we don't think that it's just flat and you're going to sail off the edge, right? We got these ice walls holding in now. What's on beyond that? That's up for speculation because they won't allow us to go there. But why are they hiding this from us, right? You can go below the 60th parallel. You're going to have 12 militaries roll up on you real quick, depending on where you go or what you're trying to do. And you're going to get turned around. And it's kind of funny. You can pay for a trip to Antarctica, but they'll only, only take you so far in and they'll take you to these islands just outside of the ice shelf. And what are the two islands called? Rothschild Island and Deception Island. You know, and if you go look at, at the Encyclopedia Britannica from 1959, it talks about the the firmament coming down and where on the uh, the navigational lines it laid. And it's like they're hiding this stuff from us. Why? And and it's like all these places came up with this treaty in 1958. I believe they signed the Antarctic Treaty, and it was like. 12 original countries that signed on to it and these countries are still signed on to it and it's still good for like another 25 or 30 years right before they have to before it's up for renewal or whatever but some of these countries that that are in perfect agreement with with antarctica and we're all cool and we all have a slice of the pie when it comes to antarctica right and we can all come to terms and this is all international land and guarded by our world militaries right but some of these countries are mortal enemies, supposedly, right now, like the United States and Russia. But when it comes to Antarctica, we're cool. Like, we got this agreement. You know, you guys stay over there. You're not allowed over here. We will take you to a couple places, but it's Deception Island and Rothschild Island. I mean, and then you just look at, like, NASA, man. Anybody who believes that we landed on the moon, like, tell me one piece of technology that's digressed. Like, every piece of technology has advanced exponentially. Like, Go look at rotary phones and landlines, right? These cats were talking to the president on a landline from the moon. Go look at that janky ass thing that they landed. It looks like a sixth grade, something a sixth grader made with toilet paper tubes and tinfoil, you know? Um, 
and and even the astronauts themselves have been ca- had been caught on camera admitting, you know, it was a Stanley Kubrick production. You know, I I know you probably know about all this stuff. I don't have to get into this, but like, dude, NASA is just a straight lie. And then actually pronounced in Hebrew, people always say NASA means beguile or deceive. It's actually Nasha pronounced in Hebrew, but it does mean to beguile or deceive. And they have the serpent's tongue in their logo. Like these are occultists that run these institutions. They are Luciferians. They're in secret societies and they worship the sun. They war- it's, they're into sun worship. It's paganism. It's occultism. They're all a part of the same secret society. These are the same people that, that control our money and put satanic imagery on our money. Like their Lord and master is Lucifer. So they're going to pervert and change everything that God created. And they're going to take it and make it a perversion. And they've taught us this stuff. And it's one pipe smoking, you know, occultist, you know, come up with this theory and he passes it on to the next one and he updates it. But they're constantly having, they had to come up with the theory of re, uh, of relativity. And and Einstein had to come up with that to make sense of what the other ones that had left behind him. And now that they come up with this and they give him a Nobel Peace Prize and all the world of science gets behind him and nobody questions it because they say, oh, those people are way smarter than us. No, if you read God's word and you let your senses speak to you, dude, you could see the world for what it is. Just walk outside your door and look at this. Like there's an answer for everything. I just interviewed a cat on my show and we were talking about the firmament and he was talking about these experiments they're doing with pure oxygen. When oxygen is is exposed to a magnetic state, it actually becomes a crystalline substance and hardens, super hardens. And so he was saying that uh, it's the earth's toroidal fields and magnetic fields that actually lock the firmament in place. And it's a perfect system. It's like It's like pure oxygen crystallized because of the magnetism, right? And it actually, actually, he theorizes that it has the ability to heal itself. So even when we see celestial phenomenons like shooting stars, and for for instance, if we're on a on a round earth, right, and we're spinning, how come we wouldn't see and, and have video footage of shooting stars shooting in other directions? Because if you were on the bottom of the earth looking from Australia, shooting stars wouldn't always be coming at a downward angle, right? They'd be shooting off at different angles. You only ever see shooting stars come from a downward angle or perfectly straight down. You never see them falling up, right? You never see them shooting up. If you do, that's probably a rocket or a satellite or whatever. And satellites are bullshit, by the way. They're satellites. Go look at who the world's biggest purchaser of helium is. Uh, all the world's uh, you know, um, communication lines are actually through fiber optic cables, ran through the ocean. You know, um, it, Everything is a freaking lie, dude. But like when getting back to the firmament, this guy theorized and he said, what if it's pieces of the firmament, uh, you know, fractioning or breaking off and falling down into our atmosphere? And they, when they reach a certain point, if it's made up of pure oxygen, crystalline oxygen, and it's falling through our atmosphere and it's getting warmer as it falls and it heats up, what is it going to do? It's going to light and evaporate as it falls down into our, into our point of view, right? So he was actually theorizing that shooting stars could possibly be fragments of the of the firmament falling down. And then just go look at Operation Fishbowl and all this stuff, man. They have not been to these places. They can't get to these places because they can't get past the firmament, you know. And but they're they're going to keep trying. They're going to keep selling a, us on this stuff, and they're going to keep pushing this stuff because along with this goes what global warming, global governments, global lockdowns. And just look at those words, man. They're globalists. They want us believing in the globe. They don't want us believing in the flat earth. They don't want people to know the truth because then people would know for sure that we were divinely created and they couldn't hide the truth from us. 
That's why they are really pushing this lie. That's why I really believe in flat earth and how important it is because if people have this epiphany, they would literally know that we were divinely created and we are the center of God's universe and we are special, but they're hiding this from us. Let me ask, let me ask you guys something because this is something that's always, I've never heard anybody address whether or not this, the, the two can even coexist because it seems like two different camps. Um, and I hope it's okay to ask because uh, you guys said I could kind of challenge you. I don't know that this is a challenge yeah. today, but I want to know, is there any overlap between flat earth and hollow earth can they coexist is it i've never heard anybody discuss the two of them have you ever have you guys ever considered that maybe the two i mean do you have a position on this so um i'll i'll speak on it real quick and then i'll let alex give you his answer but you've seen the depictions of how the ancients depicted the constructs of the earth right with the throne of god and the firmament and it shows the, the sun and the moon just above the firmament and the stars. And actually, go read your Bible. It, it says the stars are angels, dude. And if you actually look at stars in a, in a telescope, they do not look like, like perfectly round. They look like, uh, uh, like cells, you know, and they move and they, they flutter and they actually look like, like they look alive, dude. They look alive. So, but, you know, you've seen that, that old model, right? And then it shows the earth, right? And then the ice shelf and the firmament coming down and what's beneath it, right? Sheol or the great abyss, right? Where did God say he casted down the fallen angels, right? To the pit, to the abyss, to Tartarus is another ancient term for it. So I believe there is a chamber inside of the earth, like, right? We actually know less about like the bottom of our oceans than we know about what's above us. Like who knows what's beneath us? Like, we really don't know. We can only get so far down before the pressure just crushes us, you know? And I've even heard, like, I don't know if you've ever heard, but this is really fascinating. I'm going to shoot it to Alex. But go research um, Jacques Cousteau. And, you know, they were going on these these missions where they were trying to get to the, the deepest depths of the oceans. And there was a point where they came down and they ha actually have stories where they said they heard chains and, and people, uh, the sounding of people being tortured, you know? And it freaked him out so bad that, that he didn't want to go down anymore. And I think his nephew took over his, uh, his expeditions. But uh, there's some strange stuff on this earth. There's stuff that can't be explained. I think that we're going to always look for, we're going to always be asking questions and looking for answers because as human beings, we're just naturally inquisitive and we want to know these things. So we're going to keep, you know, pressing the issue and we're going to keep uh, investigating. It's never going to stop, but we'll never truly know all the secret intricacies and everything that, that the way that God made it. Um, but I do think that these truths, like if it's the truth, it's the truth and they can't keep the lid on it forever. You know, um, the truth is going to come out and, and dude, I mean, with how hard they're trying to censor flat earth and, and how much, you know, I mean, I could post something right now. And if I don't watch just the other day, I tried to post a reel on Instagram and I, I was, I was just talking about flat earth, you know, and, it, and, and they took, they took it down, you know, uh, it's like, why are they so threatened by this? If we were just a bunch of kooks, you know, who are just wackos, like who cares? Change the channel. You know what I mean? Like, but they really are threatened by us. Like, why are they threatened by us? I think it's because we know we're hip to it and we know the truth and they're hiding it from us and they're going to censor us because they don't want to have to deal with us. They're just going to, they're just going to say, oh, these are, these people are idiots. You know, this has been fact checked. 
dude, go ahead and fact check me. That's like a badge of honor for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so Alex, what do you think about Hollow Earth? Well, I don't know if you guys ever played Gears of War, but uh, we were talking about the Hammer of Dawn and energy weapons. And in the in the game Gears of War, one of the most powerful weapons is a, a satellite type laser that comes down and uh, it's a direct energy weapon basically from from the sky and in in that game too there is a, a hollow earth component where you drill down and then there is a, a different race of beings um li living under there and basically there's this disease or whatever that's starting to infect them and they want to come up to the surface and there all of a sudden there's a big war the only reason I'm saying this is because, I mean, they kind of put this stuff in Hollywood and in games and things like that. I can't prove it. I mean, I haven't dug too much into it. I remember as a kid, uh, you guys probably remember this too, uh, watching the old Spider-Man and Spider-Man would go underneath the earth and there was, there, there was like a, another race of people living under there. So, I mean, I, I don't think flat, I don't think flat earthers came up with this theory. I think that this is something else i don't spend too much time digging into it because i i think that, that we have a lot of work to do just on getting the truth out never mind trying to expose uh, other stuff that i mean how, how are me and raul gonna get to hollow earth how, like seriously are we gonna like mine ourselves there and like minecraft and, <laughs> and get to hollow earth like it, it's hard it's hard enough to try and convince people that the sun is local and that's with their own eyes. Like they can go stand outside and see that the sun is local, that the moon is local, that the moon has its own light. Like it, I mean, it's an incredible thing to go out there. So yeah, I, I wish that I had more info for you on, on hollow earth, but I just haven't gone down that rabbit hole just because Raul said something a long time ago and it really stuck with me that, um, I was spending way too much time uncovering the lies and not enough time shining light on the truth like what's what we can actually like visibly show people because we've like people's own eyes have been completely corrupted right like their their senses are they're they're taught to not believe their own senses they're taught to believe that the sun is not here and that to me that's like one of the biggest things is like to try and get somebody to snap out of it like Look, like you can see the sun. It's right here. It's not like the stars. It's right in it's right in our sky. It's our sun. It's not it's not somebody else's sun. It's not <laughs> it's not Mars's sun. It's not Venus's sun. It's it's our sun. And when you look at pictures from the moon and NASA, like when we look at the moon, we we can see the size of it, right? But if you're on the moon and you're looking at Earth and Earth is way bigger than the moon, the the, the Earth should be like 10 times bigger in the pictures right and why didn't why didn't the astronauts take pictures of the sun all they had to do was like you know if the sun was at the center of the universe and you're out there like take a quick pick right i know i'm i, I know i'm uh jumping off topics here but one other thing that i wanted to say to billy like if we were gonna if we were gonna take a rocket to the moon and we were going eighteen thousand miles an hour and it takes us three days to get there if you actually know how fast the sun and the earth are, are moving around like let's say we actually got past the firmament and we started flying into outer space well guess what happens like the other cars have left left the building like they're flying through outer space at five hundred thousand miles an hour and we're just in this like little 
thing chugging along at 18,000, like we'd be, there's just no, there's yeah. just, like to me, it's it, like, it's just, it's so simple and yet nobody can see it. And it's like, am I the genius? I can't be the genius that like calls all these ridiculous things out, but here I am. Right. Well, let me ask another question. Okay. Today it's, it's, it's a question. It really fits in with what's actually happening. Like today, August 30th is my birthday. Okay. Happy birthday. Well, thanks. Oh, dude, Alex's birthday is tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, virtual high five. Yeah, bro. Virgo high five. Yeah. Um, I got a question for you. So today is a, what do they call on this thing? A super, super blood moon or whatever? Oh, I need to go look at it. Yeah, the super the, blue moon. Well, they're saying this thing is 15% bigger than it ordinarily would be. What in What accounts for that under this? You know, or even eclipses. I mean, what are, what are we seeing when these eclipses happen? Um, when the Earth is okay. supposed to be between, the, you know, what are we seeing there? Um, how do we account for that? So just go research this. There is actually, uh, there is documented eclipses that happen while the sun and the moon are in the sky at the same time, and they call it the impossible eclipse. Now, um, I'm not versed enough to talk about it, but they talk about a, a third celestial body that can actually affect between the, the sun and the moon. I, I don't understand this concept and I need to do more research on it. But like if it was the sun, you know, casting its shadow on the because it's between the sun and the moon. So whether it's in a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse, that, that it would be impossible for these events to happen when both of them are in the sky and Earth actually obviously not fixated between the two right but even this when you talk about the moon right how can we only ever see the same side of the moon if we were constantly moving and rotating wouldn't the don't you think the they're fixed i thought they're spinning around too you know but they say oh no it's all it's all relative to one another yeah okay so dude come on And, and and being depending on where you're at on the world if we're on this round spherical earth earth you would be looking at the at the moon from a different angle, right? You would be looking at it from a different line of sight. So you would be seeing a different part of it. But it doesn't matter wherever we take pictures of the moon from on the earth, it's always the same side of the moon, man. That only makes sense on a flat, fixed earth. It doesn't make sense on a spinning round earth. You know, those are the kind of things that I'm talking about. And and even to think about the the moon itself, like Dude, there's actual photographs, and you you probably seen it, where you actually see clouds behind the moon. Have you ever seen that? No. Where you you see clouds around it and actually behind it. Yeah, uh, I forgot the name of the phenomenon, but go look it up. It's like it's local, bro. It's not like it's not. Who knows what's beyond the firmament? I I don't think we know. You know, like what lies beyond that? Is there more things that God created? Are there other? planets and worlds that god created yeah possibly you know what's beyond the antarctic ice shelf is it more land is that just where it ends uh is you know is there a passageway to more lands you know who knows what they're hiding from us but that's what's cool we have to leave some things up for speculation because we can't physically go there but i think that's what makes it so interesting and so so uh beautiful man i think flat earth is amazing you know i think it's beautiful and I think it's even more tremendous than thinking that we're just this uh, cosmic fart that blew all this into existence. 
you know, 300 million years ago or whatever they say, you know, just to think that we were intricately designed in this perfect system, kind of like a system that you're building, right? <laughs> you know, but God made this perfect system with perfect balance. He gave us a, a, a sun and a moon, a positive and a negative, a yin and a yang. And even the moon's cycles are like a woman's menstrual cycles, right? A monthly cycle. You know, just think about these things. Everything is so intricate, intricately intertwined. Like, I don't understand how people could think that this is all, you know, order doesn't come out of chaos. An explosion is chaos. Everything in this earth is a divine, very specific order that everything works in, a very intricate balance. You know, and even to think about it, arc, right? Arctic, Antarctic. What is the word A-R-C? Arc. You know, electricity, right? So it's this toroidal system. It's its own energy system. That's the ether. That's what Tesla knew about. That's what they were tapping into. And that's why they hide this stuff from us. They don't want us to know the truth because we could have unlimited power. It's just the same thing. Like when uh, the marijuana industry was threatening to take over paper mills. So they started slandering marijuana in the newspapers because hemp was threatening to take out these lumber mills. And the guys that, that had the, were making millions off of distributing newspapers slandered marijuana and said black and brown people were smoking marijuana and raping white women. And they, they caused like uh, reefer madness and all this stuff so they could get rid of that industry so they could monopolize. Right. It's the same thing with, uh, with uh, Rockefeller and the oil and then inventing all these plastics and then all these people getting cancer. And then the guy starts up a cancer research. And I was telling Alex, that's like a pimp flapping up his whore. And then his whore goes and turns a trick and comes back with a black eye and the pimp sells her an ice pack. They're pimping us, dude. Bro, that's why, you know, I can, I guess I can go back to this permaculture pimp cast. I think, I think it's even worse than that, bro. I think they treat us like, I think, even within, when you consider this entire system, they treat us literally like the prostitute. The only thing yeah. who will deciding them is which side of the bed we're going to be screwed on in this entire system. <laughs> so you pick somebody on the right, that's where it's going. It happens on the left. You're only, you're only picking out the location of which side of that bed you're going to be raped on. And that's really what it comes down to. And it really extends itself even into these I mean, you guys are pointing out some pretty profound points that honestly I didn't fully consider myself. I just wonder if it's really, excuse me, I think it's every bit as simple and sublime as you gentlemen suggest, because it's amazing to me that everything, I, like I said, everything I think I know about any of this stuff has been told to me by profligate liars. Why would I believe anything they have to say when I can literally look out this window? Like we, like you talked about from the beginning, Raul, if you're telling me that Edwin Hubble figured out that the earth is expanding, there is no way on earth. It is an impossibility. If these pyramids were built thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, they should not align. They should. Yeah. It's an impossibility. These other things can't. So I know that what they're telling me is a lie. Now, do we have with any specificity how all of this stuff works? No, I'm not. I'm not so sure of that. But honestly, your model makes far more sense to me than what I've been officially told. I will yeah. say, that, I mean, you guys have convinced me. Um, well, I mean, you you added more. I already didn't believe them anyway. But I think what you guys provided here was at least a framework. And I got to be honest with you, um, Alex, you kind of knocked my junk into my watch pocket. When he brought up the part about the 
the second thing God created. Because if it were, you know, if you go and look, it's hard to find a, I'll tell you what's hard to find. You could find Bin Laden easier than you can uh, a definition <laughs> for the firmament. Because honestly, I sat there looking it up and there was an old dictionary that was at this uh, curio shop I was at a little while ago with my wife a couple of weeks weekends ago. And I can't even get a solid definition of the word firmament. Rakia. So, I'm sorry? Rakia is the ancient word that the Hebrews used for it. I believe it's spelled R-A-Q-I-A. Uh, Alex could look that up, but uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm and not, it says, I'm not in, it, it, and it, and it, and it says that in the book of Job, I believe it was where he said he hammered it out like this, like, you know, he hammered it out, like he forged it, you know, like, I tend to, yeah, I tend it, to think, it, I tend to think it's exactly as that. I mean, I know that, I know there is not one explanation to anything they tell us that makes any sense to me. But I mean, I'm, I definitely applaud what you guys are trying to do. Um, I see it. I just don't have a full, it, it, it's like Solomon even said, you know, and it may have been Paul also. I, I, I'm pretty sure it might've been both of them where it's the simple things of this world that will confound these intelligent idiots. We'll call them intelligent idiots. You know, having, having a high IQ doesn't give you a greater share of common sense. I got a brother. My oldest brother has more degrees than a thermometer, but he ain't got any common sense. And a lot of these people that are these highly touted scientists or whatever else are telling me, okay, Einstein came up with this when I got my doubts about him. And you're telling me Stephen Hawking came up with this when <laughs> everything I hear Stephen Hawking say is coming through a computer. How do you know this guy wouldn't ask him for a pizza? I mean... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Billy, you need to check out my Stephen Hawking. Yes. Yeah. Dude, uh, Alex always trashes Stephen Hawking, and he's all this miserable idiot crapping in his pants talking about black holes. He's all, how sick and satanic was this dude's mind to sell us this freaking evil bullshit? Like, how do you even he, know? He, right? How do we yeah. even know? He's in a this wheelchair. And he's got a robot voice, and he's telling us what's happening in the universe. He's telling us like he knows. Yeah, but what, what floors me is why are we believing that that's exactly what he's saying? He could be saying, hey, dude, I really go, I'd, I'd give anything to drop a deuce over here. How do you know that he's not saying, hey, you know, can you get some pepperoni on this next one? Or <laughs> how do we know? None of that. He's a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. I mean, how do we even know this guy was even real? Because really, when you get down to brass tacks, I mean, I don't. There, there is so much. I mean, look at look at the things that we can honestly see right now. The people right now, okay, I don't know what position anybody's going to fall on Joe Biden, but you tell me how this guy's ears change one video to the next. Yeah, that's crazy. Or yeah, or you know the things that I know, or the things that I've examined at great length, like nine eleven where I know, I, I feel with great confidence that directed energy weapons were used on that thing. Mm. And based on my background in the military, there should be a rubble pile for every 10 stories. There should be a story. There should be one-tenth of that building that you blow up that is in the form of rubble. So if that was a 110-story building, there should have been 11 stories of rubble there. There was none. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's true. Where, 
where did it go? And the same phenomenons with the cars that are burned and not burned, but actually charred, like Dr. Judy Wood talked about, same phenomenon is unfolding right over there in Hawaii, but I'm supposed to believe my lying eyes. The Paradise Fires in California, same exact phenomenons. Under- yeah. The fires in New Mexico from a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, the biggest fires in the world. Yeah. Right. But all these things, but they're going to tell us to not believe our lying eyes in all these things. And I'm supposed to believe this hook, line, and sinker. I think you guys have provided a really good framework. You've given me a lot to think about. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to examine. I do actually have that uh, Flat Earth app from Dave, I think. Uh, Flat Earth Dave, I think that's the guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I actually have that app. And honestly, some of the information that's presented here is absolutely irrefutable. And you go look at the way the seasons work, man. I think for you, that'll be a big one because it shows how like the winter it, it it's on the outside. Right. And during the summer, it comes in and that's why the days are longer. It totally makes more sense, dude, of everything. Like the days are, are shorter in the winter because we don't see the sun as much because it's further out from us. But in the summer, it comes in closer to us and it creates the heat in longer days. It makes total sense, bro. Like everything. It, it just makes more sense. Even time zones. The, you know, only all this thing, the only thing that doesn't really work uh, on our model right now is the moon. The moon is a perfect 28 days, so we should have 13 months and one extra day. Somehow they messed up, messed this up because a 28 day or a 27.3 perfect cycle and then one day left over for like the new year. So we should actually have 13, 28 day months. And then yeah. we would have, then we would have a perfect calendar year. Like September, October, November, December, like seven, eight, nine, ten. Like there should be 13, 13 months. March is like the last month of what is it after the God of Destruction? March, and then April would be you know Jesus. Uh, what I think they said that Jesus actually died on April first, not April third. So Jesus, you know, death day or whatever April first would be the st- the start of our calendar. I believe that's how it works. Wow. Well, this is definitely fascinating stuff. I mean, man, it's been such a joy to be on with you guys. I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm having conversations that honestly, in so many places, I, a good conversation is the first thing I look for and the last thing I find. And these <laughs> conversations are nearly impossible to have in regular company. And it's just, you guys are kind of blowing my mind a little bit and giving me some things to think about. Um, I'm also, it's also, I don't know that I have all the answers yet you know, as none of us do, but it just seems the more and more I examine, like I went through a study of the old Testament again and over and over and over again, like for example, the church, most churches will absolutely dismiss what happened in Genesis six. They will absolutely Man. dismiss any flat earth references, yeah. whether it's in Job or whether it's, I mean, where, like you were saying a little while ago, Raul where it talks about over and over, it kept jumping out at me like the pillars that the earth is on. It makes it sound as if it's like a stool, like it has legs. So, uh, okay, so what they're telling me doesn't make sense when I overlay it with that. So it only- think about, think about things like the Tower of Babel. How does that make sense? They were actually building a, a tower to heaven. Like how would that work on a spinning earth where they, you know, it makes more sense on a flat earth model. Same thing with the it, the story in Joshua. I believe Joshua ten, where the Lord stopped the sun and the moon. If if that affects our you know 
I know we're tired, man. It's your birthday, bro. But like, you know, it, it makes a, a lot of these stories, especially, and I'm going to choose to take God's word over Stephen Hawking's word. That's one thing I know for sure. But hey, man, uh, we've been running for a good long time. I think my device is dying over here. I know it's your birthday, man. Happy birthday to you. God bless you. You well, have been almost, a tremendous guest. Well, bro, it's almost Alex's birthday, at least where I'm at. It's, it's like 1146 right now. So we're going to go from one birthday to the next. And happy birthday to you, bro. I mean, we stick around for another 15 minutes. We'll make that handoff. Nice. Have no <laughs> I, I think that you should come back again. Honestly, Raul. I'm not just. No, saying, dude. Like, dude, you're coming back, bro. I, I, wanna, I, would keep... I would love to come back. But honestly, I hope you ex- you accept an invita- invitation to come check it. To check it out on the Permaculture Pimpcast. Because I've been delving more and more into these topics. And strangely enough. Because our claim to fame generally is what we do in the permaculture and the farming realm. But every time we talk about the esoteric, um, good night, man. I can't believe the number of people that want to hear more of this. But you guys are far. Maybe you can come on my show sometime. I'd love to have you guys on. And we can go deep there. There's a whole gang of people out there. I mean, there's. I'll be honest with you, y'all. Let me just point this out real quick. There are other shows out there, other show hosts that have very, very big podcast. Not, um, I guess you could almost call it podcast, but they have very big footprints on places like uh, Rumble. And these are guys that typically cover geopolitical type stuff. And all of a sudden, you got shows like Man in America. They get on, they're talking flat earth. You got another show called uh, Flyover Conservatives. They got a guy on there talking about flat earth. These are people that would have been laughed to scorn yeah. a year ago, even even five, four years ago. They would have been laughed to scorn. They would have never reached these topics with a ten foot pole. They would have never touched it. And I've always been the one to, to want to go out there and touch these fringe topics. I don't care what it is. I mean, it was. I'll have to tell you guys some stories about what happened to me back when I was doing radio when nine eleven happened, and. And some very, very strange things that happened to me when I would talk Ooh, about small things. Die, brother. Damn it. Yeah. Well, but that's it, bro. I know I think that to shut down the show. Um, I'll just go ahead and I'll shelve it for now. But man, we gotta have you guys on mine. I, I look forward to hearing uh all about that. It's gonna be I'm telling you, we could do all sorts of stuff because honestly, the more we talk about these things, the more mainstream it becomes. And the more we t- speak into reality, I mean, I, I realize that we might not be right about everything. And that's what makes us even more dangerous is that we're able to admit that we might not be right about everything. And that's okay. I think, I think that these guys have talked themselves into such a corner. Their inconvenient lies will come back to haunt them, right? As it is, we can't trust anything they say. And they all have this same playbook, like trust the science, trust the science, right? Like where have we heard that before? Well, it seems like over and over, it's the same exact playbook. And why change anything? I mean, why change when it works so incredibly well? Why would you change anything? And and really, when you get down to brass tacks on this whole, whether it's a flat earth thing, whether it's the hollow earth thing, and I think I, I can actually point out some biblical reference, references regarding hollow earth as well, like men's hearts failing them for fear of what's coming upon the earth. Well, where is that coming from? Is it a dimensional thing? I don't know. But like you said, um, you know, I get, I, when I'm asking you, when you openly admit, hey, I don't have a complete answer for the moon, well, 
I would never hear anybody on the opposite side of that say, look, I don't have an answer for why the pyramids still line up without Ryan's belt. That They would never admit that. And you guys openly did that. And honestly, I think you, you guys are uh, extraordinary ambassadors for your position here. And I really didn't know what to expect. Um, you're clearly thinkers, which honestly is a, is a joy for me to be around. And you're talking about a topic that, frankly, I don't know enough about. But I feel like I'm not conver- I'm not fluent by any stretch. But I feel like I'm becoming more and more conversational regarding this topic. And I think we, I think you, I'd love to have you guys on my show. I mean, it's a big platform, and um, I just want to, I just want to see. And frankly, I don't, I really don't give a fat rat about people <laughs> unsubscribing. <laughs> giving me a bunch of crap i don't i just want to start a homestead with raul and then you can teach us and we could like make our own show right like for a year (laughs) teach us canadian guy how to farm no no you got some really good farmers up there in canada but if you ever want to come down to the united states of amnesia um (laughs) yeah guys i mean there's there's a lot of things there's a lot of homestead festivals going on there's a lot of this and a lot of that Factors that there's going to be a, um, there's other podcasts I would like to introduce you guys to that are in direct opposition to what you're talking about, but I would love to hear an honest debate. There's another podcast out there called Kill the Mockingbirds, and they come down a little bit hard on the flat earth thing. And I would love to be able to hear an honest debate between you guys hamming out the issues. I mean, these guys are going to be respectful for you and everything, but I would love to be able, they're saying that they can't get flat earth people on their shows. So if you guys are open to it, I'll, uh, Oh see. dude, I know to kill the mockingbird as well. Um, that's more a Tony Merkel's boys. It, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but he's a musician. He did the, Joel the Thomas. music for Tony's show. Yeah. Joel Thomas does the music on my show. Joel Thomas. Yeah. Joel yeah, Thomas, does. man, I'm down, that. dude, line these things up. And you know, what's great is like, we're a fairly new podcast. We've only been out for three months. So we've got, you know, I think this is going to be our 20th or 21st episode with you. But dude, we're definitely not scared to go on other people's platforms. You know, I could definitely go into uh, deep research mode and prepare myself for something like that. But I think it'd be a great opportunity for us to grow this podcast. And we definitely want to go on your show. And I, I, I know you have to have a big audience, bro. Like, it's pretty cool that Claude set this up. You know, I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't even realize, like, I, I'd even heard of your podcast until I actually seen the name behind you and then it then it all hit me i was like bro this is the dude i heard on tony merkel's show so bro that would be awesome i'm down for that stuff and i know uh alex and claude would too we we definitely have a pretty loyal crowd and the more and more we talk about this type of stuff the more they're like but i'll tell you what i'm gonna i'm gonna reach out to joel and i'm gonna see if they can get you guys on the show there because you're from two different camps and honestly, I wonder if just a good, honest exchange of ideas would possibly, I mean, it's almost like a social experiment for my part. I'm going to be, okay, well, like I was talking about the gladiators before, I'm going to be that guy up in the arena while you guys fight it out there, like <laughs> growing the rest of them in the gladiator. So, um, yeah, um, I'll, I'll see if we can't set that up, but we got to definitely get you on my show because... These are these are the kind of topics that I didn't realize that I thought if I touched on, I thought I would lose my listenership like nobody's business. It, it didn't do that. They've only asked for more. But you guys are touching on things that I can't answer that I'm not I'm not good at. So 
We're going to set this thing up. We're going to get you guys on there. I think it'll be a lot of fun. That's what we're about. Definitely, man. And just, you know, share this podcast with your, with your listenership. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely, we're going to promote you. And, uh, you know, before you say goodbye, man, remind everybody of where they can go to, to listen to your podcast, you know, uh, talk about your, your YouTube and rumble channels and, uh, you know, leave us with that and say any other, uh, information that you want the firmamentalists to know about sure first of all uh the name of your podcast uh just kind of grabs you by the seat of your pants i think it's a really great name for a podcast number one and i'm i'm thankful to having met you guys tonight and uh to be a part of it so if anybody would want to check us out you can we got a website permapasturesfarm.com and i wish now uh here in the background of alex and his wife i wish now i would have reached out for you with to you guys to build a website that we just uh paid for i would have loved to give the money to somebody i know um yes you can check us out of the website we got a youtube channel called perma pastures farm that's three different words perma pastures and farm we're pretty easy to find on youtube and also all the other video platforms that's just one of the primary places you can find us. And also we have the permaculture pimp cast and you can find us we're probably the fastest growing farm podcast on the planet right now. And we cover permaculture preparedness and practical living. We break the show down in a bunch of different segments. And uh, we talk about everything from geopolitics to how you can grow your tomatoes better. And we bring in as many experts as we can. And here before too long, we're going to be talking flat earth on there. And I'm curious to see how <laughs> this thing goes down. So, um, yeah, it's been a joy to hang out with you guys. Thanks so much for having Alex. Man, well, let's just wrap this up. Uh, I'll. I just wanted to thank Billy again, and I just had a blast. So I can't wait to come on the show and talk electricity, talk Mennonite farming. That's my. That's my heritage. So, you need me to plant something. I'm going to do it the right way for you, Billy. So thanks. Thanks. It's been an honor to meet you. It's been a joy to meet you guys as well. Yeah. Thanks once again. And uh, yeah, this has been a blast, man. I actually really enjoyed this episode. I was kind of tired before we started recording, um, but I found an energy boost and you totally gave it to us, brother. We'll be in contact with you. And uh, that's it, folks, man. We're going to wrap it up. So remember, Firmamentalists, protect your dome and we'll see you next time. How do we find ourselves here? Within these walls and chains As a teardrop lands Who is there to blame?
till skies turn 